welcome once again to another Coffee and Heroes podcast. We are back on the weekly releases horse. Uh, after our mammoth recording session last week in which we covered the last five weeks worth of releases, we're delighted to be back to our weekly format so we can talk about our favorite titles, we can talk about honorable mentions, we can preview what's coming out next and obviously keep you up to date with all the latest news and so forth as well. So as ever, your host, Alan, owner and operator of Coffee and Heroes, I'm delighted to once again be joined by Keith. How are you this evening, sir? I am not too bad, Alan, not too bad at all. I had a nice wee, a nice wee day off today, so a wee three-day weekend, um, and I've got three days at work then this week, and then I'm off again Friday and Monday. Uh, well seen, I had to use the holidays up before Christmas. Oh, it's terrible when you build up all your holidays all year, isn't it? And then you get to the end of the year and it's you're rubbing your hands with glee. Well, I mean, obviously I would have much preferred to spend uh, those holidays halfway through the year or a wee bit earlier in the year to go somewhere nice. Mm-hmm. But uh, given that we couldn't go anywhere nice, uh, here we are. Well, you that know, is true, but, but uh, at least you got to read some nice comics, and we'll certainly get on to that in a bit. Uh, delighted to say we are once again joined by Paddy. He didn't offend us too much in that three-hour mammoth uh, recording <laughs> session, uh, so uh, he, we've invited him back. So how are you keeping, sir? Are you all good? Uh, very well, yeah. had a nice, nice relaxing weekend, reading some comics, started a couple of new TV shows, so yeah. Yeah, that's cool to hear, cool to hear. Uh, yeah, well, we... We've been looking through the news for the past sort of week. We've managed to come up with some interesting stuff, sort of comic-related, TV-related, and pop culture-related in general, I suppose. But the first thing that definitely stood out to me, and this is is as much as a fan as it is as a retailer as well. So DC held a virtual convention over the weekend, CCXP, which I believe is the equivalent of their Brazilian Comic-Con they always do in December. And they started to announce plans for what's coming post-Future State. So... As a retailer, my worry was always so many series were coming to an end in December, Future State was coming up, that seemed like an event geared around the idea that a lot of the work had already been done, was being set up when Dan Dio was still there, so they thought they'd release it. But because of the way the previews books work and so forth, you only ever know what's happening two months in advance, so I've been keeping an eye out for announcements, and DC went big on their announcements this weekend for a lot of the series that are going to be kicking off in March. So this is going to be when Future State is over. And what they're doing, which is really, really good to see, is a lot of the the creative teams that are working on the Future State equivalent titles are taking over the ongoing titles. So that's going to give it some great continuity. So to give you an idea, for example, so taking over Detective Comics as of issue 1034 is Mariko Tamaki on writing duties and our one of our favorite artists from Once in Future, Dan Mora. Those guys are doing Future State Dark Detective. So a lot of the seeds they're going to be sowing there can then be reintroduced to Detective once it gets going. We've got Gene Lun Yang and Ivan Rice t- uh, picking up Batman Superman. So obviously Joshua Williamson stepping away from that. We've got Becky Cloonan, Michael W. Conrad, Travis Moore and Tamara Bond villain on Wonder Woman. I will never not say Bond villain when I pronounce their name, but there you I'm go. Not gonna joke. I'm not going to lie. For the first load of times I was listening to the podcast, I was convinced that's what you were saying. Yeah. <laughs> Did she change her name to Bond villain? <laughs> yeah, so it's Bond villain, and uh, it's, it's almost impossible not to. But as well as uh, those series, there's been some new series that have been announced for launching. So you've got Wonder Girl, which is a new miniseries starring a younger version of Future State Wonder Woman. That's going to be Joelle Jones, who, of course, uh, launched Catwoman last year. Uh, the next Harley Quinn ongoing series is being taken over by Stephanie Phillips and Riley Rossmo and Ivan Placentia. 
Uh, a couple that really got me excited, you know, it's been way too long since we've had a Swamp Thing ongoing series, and they just announced a new one, which Ram V is going to be writing, and Mike Perkins is an art. Now, Mike Perkins, he was the artist, I believe, for Lois Lane, uh, which mm-hmm. was a cracking title, so great to see a powerful team on that one. Ram is also going to be relaunching Justice League Dark, uh, with art by Alejandro Germanico. Suicide Squad is coming back now. Suicide Squad's an interesting one. The Tom Taylor series was obviously really popular, went down really well, critically very well received. But I get the feeling with Tom Taylor, he's always happy to tell sort of shorter stories, a couple of arcs, and move on. So you've got a new team on this one, which is uh, Robbie Thompson on writing and Eduardo Panseca on uh, art. And it's going to be called The Suicide Squad. Now, the cover even has Peacemaker on it, so I think they're going to try and line this up with the upcoming movie from James Gunn. You've also got Jeffrey Thorne and Tom Rainey, which is going to be a relaunched Green Lantern series. So not only will you have the Green Lantern um, miniseries from Grant Morrison coming out, you'll also have an ongoing. And then there's going to be a new Titan series, which is quite interesting to see, Teen Titans Academy, which is from Tim Sheridan and Rafa Sandoval. Now, there's a lot to digest there, to say the least. A lot of new titles being announced. They haven't quite touched what's happening with Superman afterwards. They haven't touched on Justice League. I believe Batman Tinian's already announced to come back along with Jorge Jimenez. But it's just great to see, again, from a retailer point of view as much as a fan point of view, it's great to see that there are plans afoot, you know, because it's been a slightly worrying time at DC recently. You know, lots of uh, changes behind the scenes. You had a new editor came, come in as well, Mary Yavins. So it, it's good to see some positive news on the old uh, on the old comic front, I have to say. So... You guys get a chance to take a look at this at all? I uh, I hadn't heard about it until I walked into the store earlier, Alan, and you and you mentioned it to me. So uh, that one that one passed me by, but definitely definitely some interesting stuff there. What's the score with Nightwing? So Nightwing hasn't been announced just yet, but again, I would imagine that there there, there are still announcements to come. I do know, for example, that Tom Taylor him again. Uh, he said that his thing will be announced in the next week or so. What it seems to be is a lot of the... Um, so you know the way that there's going to be the one-shots for Future States and it's going to be anthology, so you'll have a main story for two-thirds of it and then a backup yeah. story? It seems to be that a lot of the backup stories are being used as testing grounds for almost like auditions, I suppose, for if they'll bring it on as a full series. Because there's a lot of those uh, ones that I mentioned there are backups and that they're actually going to be promoted to ongoing. So it, it means it'll keep the titles interesting as well. But yeah, Bat Family-wise, outside of Batman and Detective, I haven't really heard anything so far, so it'll be something to uh, to keep an eye on for the next couple of weeks. But I'm just glad to see that they're releasing titles again. <laughs> not going to lie. <laughs> oh, I tell you, I worry all the time. So uh, yeah, something to keep an eye on there, guys, with tons of, tons of DC stuff coming. Uh, Didn't James Tinian send a, a tweet out about working on something, announcing something new with DC? Said it's going to be his biggest DC announcement since he took over Batman. Yeah, he said something about his plans for Gotham. So whether that means that they're planning another event, a la Joker War, or it's going to be a new title, for example, ah. that kind of thing. I mean, Tinian's written Detective before. He's written. He's obviously on Batman now. You know, he's he's killing it there. So, but yeah, he what was it he said here as I pull up Twitter. Uh, he says, excited to see more and more of the Gotham 2021 lineup reveal itself. We've got something really special planned for you, including the launch of my biggest new series at DC since I took on Batman in January. 
stay tuned more news to come this week and next so there's still plenty of stuff to come out which is great to see Mm, interesting i mean i know uh, it was it's notable that in this week's batman uh, nightwing appears and he's on his way back to gotham you know to to deal with uh, what's happening with with ghostmaker and the fallout of uh, of joker war and appeared in uh, you know and, and very much spoiler and uh uh what do you call her orphan uh, we're in I, evidence as well you know again, yeah. so I wonder, is, is Tinian sort of taking over marshalling the whole Bat family? It wouldn't surprise me. I mean, he's obviously a protege of Scott Snyder. Scott Snyder said he's stepping away from sort of the big two and superheroes for a while and he wants to get back to his indie roots. So maybe they're shepherding Tinian forward. He's, he's you know, he's cut his chops on Batman already. He's shown he can marshal a wide line event like he did through Joker War. Mm-hmm. Seals have been very good. Critically, it's been well received. So... Yeah, I mean, maybe it's a case of, you know, getting him to be like the godfather, so to speak, or, or maybe like shepherd in the, the whole Gotham line. Yeah, I, yeah. I mean, yeah, whenever he mentions that, he talks about the Gotham books, you know. So, I don't know, is, is Tinian going to be to to Gotham what uh, John Jonathan Hickman is to All Things X? We can but hope. We can but oh. hope. Uh, I'm going to predict the Punchline solo series. Possibly, possibly. I mean, the the one shot sold very well, but I, I always worry there's oversaturation of a character. I enjoyed that one shot, but I'm not. If that was announced as a twelve issue mini, I'm not sure I would be, you know, jumping all over it to be honest. But no, a lot a lot of faith in Tinian. You know, he outside of obviously all the bat books and all the rest. You know, something's killing the children. Wind. We talk about them all the time. The guy's just on a bit of a roll at the moment and an ideas machine. So. Yeah, lots of lots of positive news coming out of DC, which is great to see. Uh, bits and pieces of sort of TV and movie news are, are probably worth chatting about. I did see this week that there were photos released of the Hawkeye TV show being filmed. Uh, I have to say I'm incredibly excited about this. There was the appearance in the photos of Pizza Dog. How can you not <laughs> be excited? Yeah, I mean, this is it's an interesting one because, you know, up until now... Hawkeye has sort of got short shrift, you know, next to WandaVision and uh, Falcon and Winter Soldier. You know what I mean? There hasn't been a lot of chat about it, but there's been a lot of news has come out uh, of late. Uh, you know, so they've obviously confirmed that uh, that the Jeremy Renner related series series is gonna is gonna include uh, Haley Steinfeld as Kate Bishop, uh, the the younger Hawkeye. But uh, there's some other interesting casting news as well. Um, Florence Pugh, who who is playing uh, Black Widow, the other Black Widow, Yelena Belova, uh, in in the Black Widow movie, is going to uh, be included in the Hawkeye series. So obviously we haven't seen her in that role yet due to delays, but uh, she's going to be appearing. Um, So we've also got Tony Dalton, who is likely better known to us as uh, Lalo Salamanca from Better Call Saul. So he's going to be playing... um, Jack DeCons, who is uh, the the identity of uh, the Swordsman. Now, the Swordsman, uh, although he most recently appeared in Empire as like an alien threat, uh, the Swordsman in his in his human form was actually the man who who taught Hawkeye to be Hawkeye. He was his his mentor in the circus and also a wee bit of a, a criminal and led led Hawkeye down a down a down a dark path whenever he was a, a child. Now, you know whether or not he'll serve as that role to Jeremy Renner's Hawkeye or whether or not he'll be uh, Kate Bishop's mentor, it's hard to say. 
Uh, who else? Um, we've got uh, Kate Bishop's mother, Eleanor, has been cast, and uh, I see there's been there's been a casting by uh, 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 Alqua Cox, uh, who will be playing Mia Lopez, who who was the character who was Echo. Uh, who was a deaf uh, sort of Native American hero with the ability to perfectly replicate uh, physical movements of another person, and her father has also been cast. So there's a whole lot of whole lot of Hawkeye casting there, uh, and some pretty exciting stuff, I think. Yeah, I think they're they're building out that world. We kind of touched on it last week, didn't we? That Marvel TV seems to be putting their focus. Marvel seems to be putting their focus into the majority of TV stuff now, you know, rather than movies for the time being. Yeah, I mean, obviously, obviously, movies are a are a, a slightly uh, a slightly tricky topic at the minute, um, you know. And I guess the uh, the uh, the news from uh, from uh, HBO and and, and Warner uh, about their their joint cinema releases, which come out. Uh, Fairly recently is a big one there. Yeah, I mean, that's it. They've decided they're going to do same-day releases for their, their entire slate next year. I mean, it's going to kick off in the States in two weeks with Wonder Woman debuting on Christmas Day. Uh, I'm delighted to say that it looks like cinemas will be reopened in Belfast in the next at the end of this week. And I'll be honest, I, Vicky and I went to the cinema a few times just after the first lockdown, and it was one of the safest environments I'd been in, well-spaced, um you know you pre-ordered everything in advance and it was a real pleasure to go to the cinema and i'm i'm glad to see that we will be able to see wonder woman in the cinema mm. but obviously going forward i mean hbo and warner brothers have said this is just for the next year this is their plan but i almost think it's a testing ground i think it's a case of if they can see financial returns on this through subscriptions while also not having to spend money on distribution advertising cutting in the cinema chains and so forth it's it's a worrying time for cinema exhibition i think and i think they they may need to get creative in the future start showing older movies doing movie seasons maybe even as as weird as this might sound maybe even showing you know television shows and movies and in movie theaters you know imagine seeing the mandalorian on the big screen for example (laughs) you know what i mean or or imagine showing I don't know, an, an entire season of Stranger Things over two nights or, you know, things that are very cinematic. So there, you may see some changes to the cinematic model, I would say, in the next in the next couple of years. Well, either way, I will still be going to the cinema to see Wonder Woman, I can assure you. Yeah, a few other bits and pieces just sort of caught our eye more for humorous reasons than anything else and a story that could only come out in this wee country of ours. Tentatively titled, and I give Keith full credit for this one, Spider Flag. Go ahead. What, tell us. Tell us what this is about, Paddy. <laughs> Go ahead. Uh, yeah, it, it, it transpired at the weekend that, that someone was playing Spider-Man Miles Morales on the PS4, PS5. Uh, came across a flag that I believe was the flag that was once used when Ireland was part of the Great British Empire. So the green flag with a harp on it. And of course, as you said, Alan, only in, in Northern Ireland would this make headline news. Uh, you had politicians uh, making statements on it. Well, Sir, well, let's be clear, you had one specific politician. Sir, Sir who, I, who I think we could all guess who it was going to be. <laughs> yeah, yeah. And, uh, uh, DUP, MP. The, the future of Northern Ireland will not be decided by a PlayStation game. 
<laughs> my Cold God, they have a they have a, a serious serious obsession with flags, don't they? It's incredible, like it's absolutely incredible. But uh, oh man, I I once sat uh, across the uh, the aisle on a plane from that man, and ah, uh, uh, it's the only time that I thought, you know, if this plane went down, it wouldn't be too bad. <laughs> How much self control did you have to show that day? Uh, incredible incredible <laughs> self-control my favorite part of this story was the reporting of the story because it was all about uh it was in the belfast telegraph and the reporter the journalist was saying you know the makers of spider-man are being accused of ignorance and then they decided to call the main character miles morale and <laughs> when you're talking about ignorance and you get the character name wrong when the character's right there in the title astounding to me but uh yeah only in our country could that be you, you just know americans for example are just all searching this part out in the game now just so they can point and laugh at it because that's what they're doing at our uh, politicians but that's what <laughs> that's what we do as well so that's all good um another thing that caught the eye was invincible so invincible is of course the uh robert kirkman in the superhero series uh, ran for 144 issues. It's being turned into an Amazon Prime animated TV show. Uh, I am delighted to say Keith has finally worn me down and I'm actually reading through it at the moment. Uh, 20 issues deep. I've, I've had that compendium since probably about a week into the first lockdown, so it gives you an idea of how long <laughs> I've had it. But I've kicked it off, 20 issues in, really, really loving it so far. But uh, it was recently announced a few new uh, names were added to the voice cast. You must be excited about this even more, Keith, than you were already. Oh, yeah. I mean, the, the voice cast for Invincible is already incredible. Um, you know, there's there's uh, there's all sorts of, of people involved uh, with it, you know. But they've added uh, they've added to the, this new list. I mean, we've talked about the previous uh, voice cast before, uh, so we'll not, we'll not labor that point. But they've added to the voice uh, Mahershala Ali, the man who will be Blade, um, as Titan, Clancy Brown, the man who was the Kurgan in Highlander, uh, as Damien Darkblood. Uh, we've got Jeffrey Donovan as Machine Head, Jonathan Groff as Rick Sheridan, John Hamm as Steve, uh, Jimon Honsu as the Martian Emperor, and Ezra Miller. Your uh, favorite? Yeah, I don't know. I don't know why they keep putting that guy in things. It could be worse. You were saying Jeffrey Donovan there, and I thought you were going to say Jeffrey Donaldson. So <laughs> <laughs> that would certainly change things. But, uh, yeah, I mean, the cast is looking incredible, so it is. I mean, you know, all those Walking Dead alumni in there and Mark Hamill and Seth Rogen and, you know. J.K. Simmons. J.K. Simmons, Walter Goggins, you know, Zachary Quinto. Uh -huh. You know, it's, it is it is interesting. It's only going to be eight episodes the first season, and, and one of the reasons I jumped on to it was because you were telling me about a, a massive status quo shift in the first 12 issues. And I'm really curious now whether the first season will end with that or whether that'll happen within like two episodes, because mm. a lot happens in those first 12 issues to establish in an eight-episode season. So yeah. I think that's going to be the cliffhanger of season one, personally. And I mean, I think it's interesting that they're casting all of these people for eight episodes. Yeah, well, clearly, you know, it's a lot of them probably have it written in their uh, Walking Dead contracts that uh, if uh, Kirkman Old adapts anything Robert else, <laughs> you have to get involved with it. So... Uh, yeah, definitely something to really, really look forward to. It just says it's coming out in twenty twenty one. It doesn't actually state a date, but it must be. Uh, it must be coming soon. So, although I, I must admit, I saw this reported earlier, and 
uh, I'll guess this is uh, a compliment now, but a year ago you probably wouldn't say it, but it's said to, quote, boast a tone akin to HBO Max's Harley Quinn. Now, a year ago that might have sounded like an insult, but that Harley Quinn <laughs> show is actually really fun, in fairness. So, uh, I've, never, I've never watched it, so I'll take your word. You'd be surprised. It's worth yeah, watching. It's very good. It's worth watching just for Kite Man and Bane. Those two characters alone are worth watching them for. Um, and then just one last little thing. It's something you had uh, noticed, Keith, uh, to do with our possible next Black Panther. Uh, it was, yeah, just uh, Letitia Wright, who plays Shuri in, uh, in Black Panther and, and potentially, possibly uh, would be uh, playing that character again in, in Black Panther 2, but this time in a, in a more significant role, shall we say. Uh, just needs to step away from the keyboard, I think. Uh, she, she posted a wee bit of, a, wee bit of an anti-vax uh, video and a few comments um, the other night around the uh, potential COVID vaccine, wee bit conspiracy theory-esque. And, uh, and then uh, very, very shortly thereafter, uh, all, her, all her social media was, was, was closed down. Uh, and I understand that, uh, that uh, Marvel had a wee bit of a, wee bit of a, a few harsh words for her. Uh, she's a great actress. I wouldn't like to see her put her career in danger because she's airing irresponsible views on her social media. I think someone like that, you know, potentially they have a responsibility, uh, you know, and expressing those sorts of statements could could potentially cause people's death. You know what I mean? Uh, hurt the hurt a, hurt a vaccination program. You know, vaccination has long been proven to be a, a tried and tested method of uh, of saving lives. So, so uh, yeah, Letitia, step away from the keyboard. <laughs> Unfortunately, we live in a world where one of the most irresponsible people on social media graduated to president. So, you know, they're they're not always going to see that as a negative. You know, this is true. This is true. But anyway, this is not a political podcast as much as Keith tries to make it one. It is actually a comic (laughs) podcast. So we are going to move on to our comic reviews section. So as ever, so these are releases that (laughs) I should say came out in the 2nd of December, but due to a very mixed week last week for us they came out in the third but i'll get into that in a bit but uh yeah we always like to break down our our pool list so for me this week i had 24 titles in total uh seven of which were dc six were marvel eight were indie and then i had two graphic novels as well two original graphic novels and then i'm just going to throw in a, a little extra thing that i might do from here on in just to hopefully result in people having to conduct an intervention for me but i also had nine variant <laughs> covers as well on top of my pull list so uh just in case I, this is a cry for help guys uh, cry for yeah help. yeah i mean we, we all know we have a problem with comic books but you've now you've now reached another level of problem no it's very worrying very worrying. Yeah. how many of the variant covers were batman catwoman uh only one i just took cover b uh the jim lee but i blame keenan black for this you know, Kingdom Black, I think I had about four variants from, so that's part of it. Um, I love, I love how you blame the companies for releasing them, and then everybody who comes into the shop blames you for stocking them. Yeah, <laughs> it's, it's a vicious circle to say the least. Vicious circle to say the least. Uh, how about yourself, Paddy? What were your numbers this week? My numbers were not too bad this week. I think I had eleven in total, two DC, five Marvel. And for Indy, obviously the five Marvel was, I got the two King and Black tie-ins, but yeah. Cool. And how about yourself, Keith? Uh, 19 in total for me this week. Uh, five DC, eight Marvel, 
Five Indie and one trade paperback, which was the Nightwing Prince of Gotham uh, Omnibus. So trade paperback is maybe uh, is maybe too small a word for what it is. Um, it's the, the new 52 run. It's uh, largely Kyle Higgins, isn't that right? Yeah, um, indeed, yep. Haven't had a chance, obviously, to, to read it yet. Uh, I'll save it for a rainy day uh, and uh, whenever I've got a wee bit of a chance. But uh, I finished my pull list this week, which was great, um, having that extra day off. So my next uh, my next goal is uh, is the the second Why the Last Man omnibus, so I can get them back to you. <laughs> is it because I've started reading Invincible? It's like we should trade things back to each <laughs> other at the same time. Yeah, probably, and I'm going to need that 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 second two uh, two uh, omnibus as well. So uh, yeah. I do want to take half your collection. I've got the smorgasbord there. It's ready for you for two Perfect. volume two. So. Perfect. But yeah, as ever, we'll we'll break it down into our picks of the week and then go through a few honourable mentions. Our last podcast was obviously a massive catch-up one, so we just tried to focus on the picks from each week. But we will throw out a few few lines of dialogue, if you will, about our honourable mentions this week because this was a cracking week of releases. There was a lot of great stuff. Mm-hmm. There was great stuff from the big two. There was great indie stuff. Um, it was actually hard whittling this down, I have to say. Yeah, I totally agree. It was a it was a tough week for whittling. Yeah, I was stuck on four or five that very easily could have been pick of the week. I've just noticed that we've all went for the big two. There's no, there's no indie. Yep, this is a this cha- a first. This is definitely a change. I mean, you go back to that one where we covered those five weeks. It was so indie heavy. I think, yeah. just from memory, I think it was two DC, two Marvel, and eleven indie. So the big two come back strong. So we're going to jump in and. I say it was difficult for me to whittle mine down, but let's be honest, my pick was only going to be one thing that I wanted to, you know, spotlight and talk about this week. So for me, it Three was... Three Jokers again? No, not quite. <laughs> that'll, be the end, that'll be the end of your podcast. Um, no, for this week, for me, it was Batman Catwoman number one. So written by Tom Keane, art by Clay Mann, colorist is Tomo More. So... I've been waiting for Batcat for a long, long time. I mean, ever since we had the pleasure of hosting Clay in store in October of last year. And we heard him talk a lot that day about how the title was very special to him, how he had asked DC to delay it so he could fully draw, you know, issues 1 through 12. Because, you know, Heroes in Crisis is an example. It was nine issues. Clay's is the, the event headliner artist for it, but he actually only drew six of the issues because, you know, deadlines and so forth. But... It was it was nice of DC first of all to accommodate this. He he felt that this was going to be something special, so he wanted to draw it all. It's also no secret that I'm a huge fan of Tom King's run. You know, I was a little bummed he couldn't make it to a hundred issues as originally planned. And this to me, this always felt like a bit of a compromise. This, you know, the news came out at the time that he was going to finish up his run at eighty five. Stories were circulating about Batman being outsold by a Mortal Hulk, about DC brass being unhappy with his run on the title. So this always felt to me like a way to keep his fans happy because Tom Keane, he can be a polarizing writer. Some people love him, some people really don't like his stuff, and some people think it's all right. But he does polarize people. And for me, this was keeping the people happy, giving Keane his finale, but it's also letting them operate within what I would probably say is his strongest format, which is the 12-issue maxi-series. You know, you think of Mr. Miracle, you think of Sheriff of Babylon, you think of the ongoing Strange Adventures. He he loves him a 12-issue maxi-series. So, of course, after all this waiting, this was a week when our delivery arrived late, and it was an absolute nightmare this week. You know, what would normally arrive on Tuesday didn't come through the door until Thursday. But, you know, in a massive shout-out to Vicky, after listening to me whining all day on Tuesday about not getting 
able even being able to read Batcat, she ran around the FP and she got me a copy just to shut me up and allow me to read it. And for me, it was totally worth the wait. You know, it's the first thing I will say, and and it, and it's something you don't often say, despite comic books being a visual medium. You nearly always compliment the story first and the writing first. But the first thing I want to say about it is absolutely gorgeous. You know, we've we've been big fans of Clay's art for years. You know, and given how hard he fought to include Phantasm, you know, I I heard a story that he had convinced Tom King to put the character into his run originally, and Tom King was just going to do it in like one issue, and Clay was like, "No, no, that's a waste. We need to do something bigger with this character." So the fact that he fought so much for this, you know, he was never going to disappoint for anyway, me. Phantasm, so Phantasm should be a character familiar to anybody who knows the animated series. So Batman, the animated series, easily, in, for me anyway, in the top five animated series of all time. You know, you put it up there with X-Men, you put it up there with Spider-Man. Um, Batman, the animated series, has stood the test of time and is still incredible. And they did a, a movie version of it, which was called Batman Mask of the Phantasm. And that's where this character was. But... It's never been a character that's popped up in comics. There is a character that popped up in a storyline called Batman Year Two called the Reaper. And a lot of people often mistake the Reaper for Phantasm, but totally different characters. But uh, yeah, as I was saying just about the art anyway with Clay, you know, he also fought a lot to include Tomo More as his colorist. You know, he really had to fight that. DC were trying to put a different colorist on this title. And he really battled for this. So you know that he was not gonna let them down with the art in this and you know, the colorist is exceptional in this and just as important as the art itself. You know, from the opening page, double page spread, sort of advent calendar, which showcases the title, Silent Night, to the splash pages, to the inevitable nine panel pages. For me, you will struggle to find a better looking book this year. Very cinematic, absolute pleasure to look at. But, you know, this would, this would all be for nothing if it didn't have an interesting story to back it up. And again, for me, it doesn't disappoint anyway. I do feel, admittedly, if you're not a Tom King fan, I don't think this will convince you otherwise. You know, he has a very defined style, you know, use of song slash poetry to set the mood and themes to the book, a non-linear structure, and even a reading of his previous work. You know, it's not essential to this, but I would recommend it as there are layers of storytelling here. So, what's it about? So, Batcat, with this, Tom King employs a true detective style narrative, you know, three defined time points. We have Catwoman back when she was a criminal, before she entered into a relationship with Batman. Then there's the two of them together as a couple, investigating the disappearance of one of one Andrea Beaumont's son, who of course we know becomes Phantasm. And finally a story in the future after Bruce has died and an older Selina tying up some loose ends. I have heard a few people not too far from here say that the structure was difficult to follow. I personally didn't find that. Um... I'm happy to take my time with a book like this. And Clay actually employed a very subtle guide. You know, just look at Catwoman's costume. It's black in the past when she's a criminal because she's a bad guy. It's grey in the present where she toes the line between criminal and crime fighter. So she's operating in a grey area, if you will. And then a civilian dress sense when she's older. We're also introduced to Andrea Beaumont, you know, a character the fans of the animated series will be more than familiar with. And the the crux of the story here is that she's asking Bruce for his help in locating her missing son. I believe is 14 years old and uh, she thinks he may have ran away to Gotham. Andrew, of course, is well known, as I said before, as the Phantasm. And seeds are definitely sown in this issue for an appearance of that character down the line. You're also introduced to the Sewer King, a character who first appeared in the animated series. So, as well as a love letter to the lore of Batman and Catwoman, you know, it works in elements of the animated series. 
and certainly elements from Keane's original run. You know, Alfred, of course, is still sadly gone in this issue, though he does make an appearance almost as a voice in Bruce's head. Uh, but a special mention really has to go to those last few pages. They genuinely gave me goosebumps the first time I read it. Between the reveal in the future and Andrea sitting in silence, a familiar mask beside her. It was just, as a Batman fan, it was just an incredible way to finish it off. So for me, it was everything I wanted it to be and more. You know, please don't let there be a delay in our delivery the week number two comes out. I, I don't think I can deal with that again. So uh, so nothing but glowing praise for me, of course. Uh, what was your thoughts on it, Keith? I loved it. I loved it. Uh, I thought it was. I thought it was really fantastically put together from start to finish. Literally from start. I love the logo. Uh, I love the logo. The Batman Catwoman logo. You know the 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 letters in Batman are sort of wider than the letters, and you know the font is wider than the letters in, in Catwoman. And you know it's it's just. I thought I thought it was a really lovely put together. It is a black label book, but normal sized, uh, which is great. Uh, I love the uh, the advent calendar double page spread at the very very start. It looks like the uh, the front projection of maybe Wayne Manor or something, and uh, you know it's got twelve windows, and the first one is is lit up chapter one, Silent Night, and then on the second page we can see the uh, you know the the window has been opened and reveals Phantasm's mask. But I can see why Clay Mann wanted to wanted to hold on to to Tom Amore. As a colorist, there. I mean, I really can because the color actually plays a really uh, important part in the continuity as well. So, even on the first page, the continuity switches between, you know, the future with Selena as an older woman, uh, presumably after Bruce's death, uh, to the bottom panel, which is her as a younger woman in the in the midpoint of the of the timeline and. The you know you've got these you got you got these bright day colors you know daytime colors um, I guess she's she's driving down to Florida or whatever it is but you know the in the in the second time period the middle time period you see her you see um, Andrea you know sitting in Wayne Manor and it's the it's the reds it's the reds from the fire yeah the in glow. the background right okay and and that that goes on and uh, you know you see. You see them cast in red, except for Alfred, who isn't cast in red because, you know, that's a memory of Bruce's. Uh, I would imagine, you know, that's a it's a memory of Bruce's as as Alfred walks in and accidentally catches Selena and and Bruce in the act. Um, but that's continued two pages later. That muted red color, and it seems to be the, the color from I guess uh, a dusky a dusky moon or a blood moon or something, and that denotes that we're still in that same time period. But the next page, halfway down the page, we're, we're done with that muted red. So I'm going to slightly, well, maybe I'm not disagreeing with you, Alan, but we see we see in the second time period, Bruce and Selena are obviously together. This is, I guess, following immediately from Tom King's Batman run. But then below, we're seeing them in, in their earliest time period together again. You know, and although Catwoman's still a villain, uh, they're very much, they're very much entwined. You know, they're, they're, they're kissing on the roof and then... Batman, Batman goes, you know, and I thought it was quite significant because there's one panel right in the middle there where he's still holding on there and she says you have to go and the panel is just Bruce, just Batman saying I do, which I feel sort of harks back to the wedding, yeah. you know, in Tom King's run. So, so yeah, there's, there's, there's time period switches during the, uh, during even pages and I think following the colours and as you said, following Catwoman's costume, it would be very easy to think, 
on that page where they, which starts off in the middle time period, mm-hmm. uh, you know, and ends in the earlier time period that, that they just follow on from one another and they don't, you know, they, uh, they actually switch time period halfway through a page there. So yeah, I just thought it was, I just thought it was, it was phenomenally put together. I thought it was, it was a beautifully put together book. Clayman is just, he's got better <laughs> you know he's got better through batman through heroes in crisis um so good i love the joker oh he, the, he the... pulls out a hell of a stylish joker yeah this is this is the joker in the earliest time period whenever selena's very much still a you know still a, a criminal um yeah so it just looks just looks great uh, so so alan i was just wondering uh andrea's andrea's husband the the father of the the father of her son. Do we know who that is, or is that a mystery that is yet to be solved? Yeah, I'm convinced that'll be a mystery down the line. There's bound to be, there's bound to be some sort of inclination, perhaps that even Bruce is the boy's father, and you know, creating tensions in that sort of bliss of Batman and Catwoman, so to speak. Because for anyone who's seen Mask of the Phantasm, you know, Andrea was Bruce's first love. Andrea was the one that was, you know, had Bruce being so close to giving up the cowl and giving up his mission just to choose personal happiness. So for me, it's that's what makes her a great character for this because there's going to be her jealousy looking at Catwoman going, well, what has she got that I don't because he's settled down for her, so to speak, you know? So, um, yeah, I would imagine that's going to be a mystery down the line. I think that'll be something that will be explored more and more throughout the throughout the issues, you know? So yeah, and, then, and then the other thing then, I don't know what's going on in the last... Well, I do know what's going on, but I'm not just sure of the specifics in the last two pages. So... In the last page, we see uh, we see someone at at a graveyard, uh, and they're opening up uh, Andrea's mother's grave, and in that grave, they find the phantasm costume, and uh, and and bits and bobs. We're not just a hundred percent sure if that is Andrea or if that is taking place in the earliest time period or the middle time period. But I, I think can... the, the last picture, Keith, is with her sitting on the bed. She's got the phantasm mask on one side. And the shovel on the other side of her. Ah, yeah, good point. And there's and there's that red glow as well, which would, which would delineate that middle time period. But it's just in the in the scene in the graveyard, we're not seeing any of that red glow, and that's what made me think: is this is is this an earlier time period or a later time period? That, well, that's that... it. It could even be a bit of misdirection with those things being there. But I would say that Andrea is sitting there with gloves on as well, and you see gloves peeling the, you the do, grave you back. Do. Yeah, so... you do. Uh, I would say that is probably what what that's going to be, but yeah. But... Oh, and she's and she's muddied as well. Her face is muddy from digging. Okay, yeah, understood. Yep, yeah, cool, brilliant. It's, uh, yeah, for me, it was everything I wanted it to be. I mean, what what were your thoughts on it, Paddy? Yeah, I absolutely loved it. I was I was the person you mentioned that was slightly thrown not thrown off, confused by the timeline, but you know, Keith said follow the Catwoman suits, and yeah, I thought it was. It, beautifully drawn you know there's one scene in particular you know i'm one of these people that's never really found catwoman sexy i don't know why but there's one scene in there in particular when she sneaks into the wayne manor <laughs> i know the scene you're talking about she looks very like rihanna i, I wouldn't know rihanna if she jumped up and bit me um <laughs> but, uh, and you work in looks... the music industry man <laughs> <laughs> um but uh it looks very much like 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 Selena is getting ready to bite someone in that scene, so yeah, I mean, yeah, the, the reveal as well. Are we allowed to are we allowed to say who the reveal is, or are we going to not have a spoiler territory? That's that's always the million dollar question. This podcast, isn't it? I mean, it's 
It'd be a shame not to sort of talk about it and touch on it quickly, so put it forward a couple of minutes if you don't want to know. But, yeah, I mean, that was one of the things that gave me goosebumps, you know, that that revealed it. I love this idea of the Joker living as, like, an old man down in Florida, you know, too, <laughs> too old to cause chaos anymore and him being genuinely upset that Batman has died. and But clearly that old madness is still there. But it's interesting as well because he even talks about, like, his grandchildren and stuff like that. So there's... Uh, but you wonder if that's just his insanity and those are just pictures of random people in his house, you know what I mean? He's like, oh yeah, those are the grandkids, you know? So again, there's layers to it, uh, which I'm really looking forward to exploring. But uh, yeah, absolutely loved it. Lived up to every expectation, you know, bring on issue two. Uh, we do have to keep a lookout in future issues to see if Clay's a man of his word and he snuck the Coffee and Heroes logo in there somewhere. So <laughs> I'll be keeping an eye out. But yeah. Uh, yeah, jump on this, guys, if, if you haven't already. 12-issue miniseries, and they only started releasing it once Clay was far enough ahead on the art, so hopefully this will be just like three Jokers released regulars clockwork. So that was my Yeah, pick. I think it reflects that in the, the signature, Clay's signature on the, the start of the book. He wrote 19 underneath it. Yeah, well, so. well, that's it. I mean, that image was there even when he came over to the store. You know, we, we made flyers for, for the event, and that was one of the images we used. It just had a different colored background. I think it was more of a red background, but uh, they changed it up. So. so, yeah, my pick of the week, unsurprisingly, was Batman Catwoman number one. So yeah. that is as far as the DC picks go. We're on to a Marvel-heavy podcast for the next couple of the next 20 minutes, guys. So go ahead, Paddy, you go first. What was your pick of the week? Uh King in Black, number one, by Sir Donny Cates, and Ra- art by Rand Stegman. Sir Donny Cates, I didn't realize you Sir had. That. I didn't realize you had that authority. What uh, what an issue! I thought King in Black would. I thought issue one would be setting the tone, building up. You know, a lot of he's on his way as he hear yet, but my God, it just kicks <laughs> off right away and doesn't let up. You know, it's. Yeah, the the first couple of pages is the preview art that I think was solicited a while ago. You know, you've got Brock, or you've got Eddie, sorry. You know, everybody's starting to gather. Uh, he goes in to kind of not say his goodbye to Dylan, but to say, listen, we need to get you out of the picture here. want to keep you safe. And kind of from there, it, it explodes. You know, it literally explodes. Iron Man is set. Spaceships up with uh, explosives and hope that that can take out a bit of Null's army, but obviously doesn't work. Uh, and, and from there, it's just non-stop action roller coaster. They're kind of split up in the two teams. You've got Cap is is heading up kind of the, the ground invasion side of things. And then you've got the Axemen who are fighting the Ur assault. Uh, but yeah, this, just for me, I found myself, I couldn't turn the pages quick enough while at the same time, not wanting to turn the page, if that makes sense, because there was just so much going on. Uh, and Nold's arrival has to be one of the best, you know, all-time entrances on a grand scale inside a Celestial. And his first words are, I'm going to kill your world. <laughs> Quite funny as well, when they're all, uh, you know, kind of getting ahead, you, there's a, when he says, and who are you all supposed to be? You know, when they're talking, it reminded me a wee bit of Cap, uh, Endgame, you know, when Captain Marvel arrives, they're talking about someone arriving and you're, you're not quite sure who it is. And then it, it being centering. Now, I know there was a lot of speculators were kind of gone in heavy on Sentry, who's a character I don't know too much about. 
Mm-hmm. Um, well, Keith has yeah, a I mean, wonderful observation for uh, for a little bit of mirror work here with Sentry, isn't there? You were saying this was a reference to uh, yeah. A previous so this is story. so so. Uh, previously, I think it was was it Siege. I can't, I can't remember what the storyline was, but Sentry Sentry is is essentially uh, the retcon Superman of the Marvel universe. He is he is the most the most powerful hero on Earth. Um, you know, he buys and sells everybody else. Uh, he he has a dark side. Uh, a dark side. The dark side is called Void, and as a result of that dark side, that uh, his 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 alter ego um, Bob is. Uh, you know he's he he struggles he struggles with his with his mental health and he you know as a result of of containing this much power and as a result of containing this dark side uh, and so um reed richards and dr strange uh effectively made uh, the sentry and all of the heroes and the individuals of the marvel universe forget who the sentry was for many many years uh and then he came back in a uh, in a book written by well it was originally created by Oh, it escapes me at the minute. But uh, in in a in a previous storyline, uh, I think it was New Avengers, maybe. Uh, Sentry famously flew Carnage into space and tore him in half, uh, and uh, and that is precisely what what Null does to the Sentry. <laughs> so taking out taking out the big guns, not even halfway through the first issue. That that's a statement. That's a statement from Donny Cates. But more importantly, you were telling me today about. Uh... A possible missed opportunity here, though, with Sentry. Yeah, yeah. Well, as I say, <laughs> just the, Sentry's dark side is called Void, so I think they missed the trick. You know, whenever you have Sentry in a book that stars Null, you know, how do you, how do you not call it Null and Void? <laughs> I think that's what the speculators were going in on when they were, they were talking about, you know, that Void would be the one to beat him, so it would be Null and Void. Ah, right. Okay, okay. Someone else has the same idea. I've seen um, Sonny Cates has made that idea. Null uh, and Void. <laughs> yo. Mm, see what <laughs> but, you did. Uh, I, uh, this, was, this was phenomenal. I thought, I thought this was the most fantastic counterpoint to, you know, to, to, to Batcat releasing on the same day where, where Batcat is very much a subtle, um, a subtle personal story right now at the moment you know with very very few characters a very fine focus you know uh across three time periods you know uh, uh, this is just completely the opposite this is it's big it's bombastic it's it's heavy metal you know to 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 borrow the term that dc are currently using you know it's it's uh dark cthulhu-esque lovecraft many many characters you know it's uh it's just that's that's just exactly the opposite, and I think that I think that's that's great that the that two of the books. I mean, this very much, Patty. You know, if you hadn't, you know, put this as your pick of the week, I was certainly picking picking it as my pick of the week, and uh, and either or, you know. So I I just I think that 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 the, the fact that these two are the the top books coming out of the big two this week is just very very fitting. I like that my prediction from last week was absolutely nowhere near correct, and that. He wouldn't be in this issue. That uh, Venom wouldn't be in this issue. Literally, <laughs> the, the first page. Yeah, I thought, I thought the, it was the continuity did slightly uh, not annoy me, but uh, you know when he came back at the end of Venom and everything was dark. Yeah, he said that he were or somewhere of the stars, and then the darkening of the earth doesn't really happen until 
you know, towards the end of the book when he sends a symbiote around the, the block out the sun. Yeah, yeah, that's that's a wee bit of a wee bit of a continuity gaff there, especially in the in the first page where you see uh, Eddie jump up, jump off the building and 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 symbiote up. You can see stars in the background. Yeah, uh, you know, so yeah, I can see how that is maybe a wee bit, but but you know, it's 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 the theme of the thing. You know, it's it's all right. I love those first couple of pages. Ryan Stegman doing Todd McFarlane spider webs uh on venom there on the on the double page spread and you know eddie has i don't feel like eddie has been back from the end of his own book very long but he he has been back long enough to pick up with the avengers again and for the avengers i guess in that in that time that eddie has been away the avengers have been have been working on a plan uh you know in that year they've been working on a plan and i love how that plan pulls in it pulls in you know the the ships that have been left orbiting around Earth from the uh, from the Skrull Kree invasion. Uh, you know, so it, it harks back to Marvel's last uh, last big big Empire event, Empire. You know, so the uh, you know having a leftover armada of derelict Kree and Skull warships floating around the upper atmosphere might just give us the edge we need. Um, so yeah, I really really enjoyed that. Uh, it doesn't quite give them the edge they need, as you say, and it's just. Yeah, just the you know the Avengers are up in here. Uh, I love the double page spread of the uh, of the symbiote dragons raining down in New York City as the as the Quinjets you know pull into the city and uh, you know that that being the, the title. Yeah, that 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 title page. Um, the the relationship between Eddie and Dylan, his son, is you know has really come along since Dylan was first introduced. Uh, there's some great relationship building there and. They hark back to, uh, so obviously, Eddie locks Dylan away, but he locks him away in a uh, in a, a, a holocaust, a nuclear bomb shelter that that Spider Man showed him that was built. I felt like Captain America from the movies at this point. You know the whole. I understood that reference. Yeah, yeah. Because yeah, I yeah, re- because I recently have been reading Straczynski's run on Spider Man which is Ezekiel, and he's basically hiding himself in yes. this bomb shelter. So when I was reading this, and it was Peter was telling me about some guy called Ezekiel, I was like, I understood that reference. Class. Yeah, yeah no, it was great. Did you notice the uh, did you notice the code that Eddie uses on the door is 616? <laughs> which, of course, is the, the number of the mainline Marvel Universe. So. Um, but yeah, just, I love that scene as well. You know, when the, the, the symbiotes are, are, are liquefying and covering the city, you know, and, and symbiote gook, and uh, you've got you know, you've got the the living laser and you've got Iron Fist in the background and Jessica Jones and Luke Cage in there and Doctor Strange and Cap. Uh, just, it's it's fantastic. And then, you know, we, we pull the X-Men into the mix and the X-Men haven't really been terribly connected to the main Marvel Universe and Hickman's run. They obviously have touched in and out, but, you know, you've got a really sort of kind of smug Charles Xavier. This is Charles Xavier. If you require backup, please stand by. My X Men have arrived. <laughs> you know, you're still don't know what to make of this Charles Xavier at all. Um, you know, and uh, his his smugness is very uh, is very present there. You know, so the X Men come in. You've got Nightcrawler and Magneto and Cyclops and Jean Grey and Storm, Cable and Wolverine, and uh, you know Th- Charles Charles Xavier is going. I understand Thor's absence is a significant hurdle. Surely a God of Thunder would be helpful, but do I, can I? May I suggest a goddess of 
and and Storm cuts in and goes, Charles, please, I'm trying to concentrate. <laughs> <laughs> so good, you know, and uh, it's just it, it harks back to, uh, um, I want to say maximum carnage, but that's not it at all. Absolute carnage, uh, you know, very much with uh, with some of the stuff that's that Eddie's trying to do to try and. Uh, get into the hive and take control of the hive. That that shock moment where those three celestials come down, and we understand that Null's first enemies were the celestials, and uh, it didn't go well for them. Uh, yeah, just just amazing stuff, amazing stuff. Uh, really, really enjoyed it, and uh, interesting getting the sentry taken off the table so so quick. Quite a, a strong finish as well, wasn't it? With the you know, I, oh, I should have specified which Brock. Yeah, yeah, very much so, very much so. Um, you know, Noel now nearly com- he nearly com- controls New York. Being, all of New York is covered in a in a symbiote. You know, in, in symbiote, you know, and Noel can just take control. So he makes this big giant hand, you know, and uh, goes after Eddie. And and as you say, I mean that that sort of is a wee bit reminiscent of Castle Bat and Death Metal, isn't it, Alan? Yeah, yeah a little bit. Yeah. Yeah, um, kind of a kind of a cool concept, but uh, as you say, Paddy, it's not it's not Eddie he's after, it's Dylan, um, and uh, yeah, just what's you know wh- where does this leave Eddie now for the rest of the the series now that now that Null has literally just stripped the symbiote from his body. I believe we Venom next week, don't we? Venom 31's out next week. Yeah, Venom is coming this week, yeah. So it's uh, you've got two tie-ins this week. So you have Venom and then you have Keenan Black Namor as well uh, as a tie-in series this week. So maybe it'll even explain the whole, you know, what happened to the stars because yeah. obviously it was Venom 30 that ended that way, which was such a cool image. So it'll maybe be interesting to see that. But, but yeah, as a book this, I mean... I already had high hopes going in because Absolute Carnage I thought was awesome. I really dug it. Similar to how we're talking about how Clay's art has got better with Backcat, I feel like Stegman's art has just went up another level as well. You know, it's mm-hmm. it's so fast-paced. It's so action-packed. There's so many yeah. characters. There's so much going on. I mean, I, I actually felt myself slightly sweating reading this book. You know, it was so <laughs> intense. Kinetic, yeah, absolutely. It was just like, uh, there was zero hope the whole way through it. It was just, I did particularly enjoy one bit, though, where a smug Tony Stark's all like, sit back and watch. He's like, oh, crap. <laughs> yeah, well, I figured you would <laughs> you would enjoy that one. Any um, any excuse for an Iron Man job, you know? But, uh, yeah, just it did everything I, I wanted it to do. I mean, I'm, I've had people in the store asking, you know, do I need to read Kate's run? You know, I think it's a fair question to a degree, but, you know, it, all you really need to know is that Noah's coming to Earth. He's the god of the symbiotes. Eddie's now part of the Avengers because he's warned them Noah's coming. This starts. You know, it's... And I'll go one better. There was There's two pages at the back that that I absolutely missed. Um, that, like the so, timeline and yeah, all the there's, there's and Yeah, there's a letters page, and I just, for whatever reason, I took that as the end and closed the book. Uh, but you know, but there's actually another double page spread, which is a timeline of uh, of uh, Null and the symbiotes, and uh, you know who he is effectively, and just the timeline right up to you know right through Venom, right up to right through from Null, right through different symbiotes and so forth and so on, right up to the Web of Carnage um, stuff and the Absolute Carnage stuff and what. So it's yeah, there you are. I mean, I would read his Venom run before this because it's been great, but I don't think it's no, 100% I don't think essential. It. I think 
you know, I was explaining it to someone actually in the store today. You know, events are always aimed at casual readers or new readers. You know, they're always, they don't want you to come into an event and be confused about what's going on. They want to bring you into an event, get you excited about certain characters because then you may stay on those characters once the event ends. So I thought this was really, really user-friendly. Uh, great for new readers, but also rewarding for uh, for long-term readers of it. So, yeah, very, very impressive. Bring on bring on part two. Same thing as, mm-hmm. as Batcat, I suppose. Definitely, definitely. So, cool. Great choice, Patty. I think that's uh, high on all of our lists this week. And I think that Keith's choice is also high on our list this week. And this may be the first time, though you could correct me if I'm wrong, that the same creator has been in the top three with two different titles that it's, are unrelated. It's very possible. It's very possible. Uh, I'm not just 100% sure. I'd have to look back in our in the annals of history, podcast history, and check. But I think, Paddy, you know, this was a go-around for us. If I had chosen King of Black, you'd have probably have chosen this. <laughs> this is uh, Thor 10 uh, by uh, by Donny Cates on writing, uh, Nick Klein on art, and Matt Wilson uh, on colors. So, um, I mean, Nick Klein has, has a has a decent history uh, working on Thor with Donny Cates, obviously Deadpool uh, Thor by Jason Aaron as well. Uh, Captain America, winter soldier uh, and a whole lot of, uh, a whole lot of uh, other stuff. Um, so he's, he's by no means, uh, he, know, he knows what he's at. He knows what he's at, but uh, Nick Klein has called this story, possibly Donny Cates's darkest story to date. And I would be inclined to agree. So this is the second part of um second part of a six-part story called prey um and it i mean we we didn't we actually honorably mentioned um uh thor number nine or in fact we failed to because last month we did we did the big covering of of five of five weeks and uh we didn't get a chance to honorably mention this but uh so the last thor nine was that was the first part of prey but it revisits uh donald blake uh, donald blake being the human alter ego of thor um and you know who is uh, i guess who is donald blake uh so donald blake has had a wee bit of a, a wee bit of a storied sort of a history uh so back at the very very beginning of thor uh don blake was i guess he was a medic he was a doctor who uh, who hunted? Uh, I guess he was drawn to a cave in Scandinavia where he he found a uh, a stick, and whenever he banged that stick on the ground, he became uh, he became Thor. He took on the the identity of of Thor, the god of thunder. Um, so it's it's kind of been you know over the years, I guess Don Blake, you know he you know Thor. The the story was that that. That Odin had had placed Thor in the body of a of a of a a lame crippled crippled uh, doctor who who did good for humanity in order to teach Thor humility. Um, but I guess I guess over the years Thor took more and more precedence, and, the, and there was times that that Don Blake wasn't around at all. Uh, and then it's sort of you know, it sort of became a wee bit more of a, a wee bit more of an issue, you know, as to where Donald Blake was and who Donald Blake was, and eventually it was retconned uh, that 
that that uh, Don Blake wasn't a person who already existed. Thor was a person who already existed, and 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 they retconned it that Odin had in fact created Don Blake fully formed in order to host the power of Thor on Earth and and teach him that that humility. So so yeah, when it, then it was interesting. Then eventually. You know, Thor shared the identity of, of Don Blake. He just he stopped being Don Blake, you know, and and eventually at one point Thor took on the identity of uh of Sigurd Jarlson, who was a uh, it was effectively just Thor, but he changed clothes uh and put his hair in the ponytail and worked on a building site. Um, you know, so he wasn't he wasn't physically changing his identity anymore. Uh and the, the identity of Don Blake faded away year by year and I guess by the time we got round to the Thor movie, the original Thor movie, it was just a, it was just a bit of a, a bit of a gag, a bit of a, a joke, in in the, the blockbuster movie where, where Thor's in the hospital and Jean gives him scrubs to put on and the badge on the scrubs says Donald Blake, Doctor Donald Blake, and that's all the that's all all there was, you know. So, so, Donny Cates is doing a really really interesting thing with this. So, in in Thor nine, uh, Thor obviously is, is is having trouble lifting the hammer. The hammer is you know Mjolnir is becoming heavier for Thor and has been since the start of Kate's run. And uh, Loki can lift it, and a dude called Adam on Earth can lift it. You know, so Thor's having a bit of a crisis here, and he decides in order to try and solve this crisis, could it be Loki has convinced him it could potentially be linked to to Donald Blake? Uh, it it could potentially so. So Thor decides that he needs to change places, exchange places with Don Blake, and uh, and and whenever Thor, whenever Don Blake is is in the Ten Realms, which he hasn't been for many many years, uh, Thor goes to a place where he can commune with the Elder Asgardian gods and maybe find out what the problem is. Uh, and we find out that you know in in, Th- in Thor nine that that whenever Thor, whenever Thor is Thor. Don Blake is exiled to this world that is, seems to be a suburban paradise, you know, where he goes for a walk and time has no meaning and so forth and so on. Uh, but we find out very close. Uh, well, we don't find out until Don Blake is summoned to, summoned to the Ten Realms and Thor disappears that during that time, Don Blake has gone very, very, uh, very gorily insane uh, whenever he discovered that uh, his god Thor wasn't answering him, and, and that the 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 place that he was, the idyllic place that he had been placed, was not real. And he's been there for many many years, and had a lot of time to work on that thought, um, and has burned the place to the ground, and has killed the dragon uh, Jormund, uh, and taken that dragon's power <laughs> and everything. So it's just, it's uh, it's it's kind of, it's really really dark uh you know this insane version of don blake has landed in the ten realms thor's nowhere to be seen this version of don blake has has access to thor's odin power has now access to the dragon's power and he is he is on a on a a spree of vengeance so the cover is interesting the cover uh which is which is a beautiful cover by olivier copier uh who who did a lot of the a lot of the art in um and Jason Arnes run and the cover shows you know a lot of pages posters with various people who have held the Odin power 
we can see the frog version of Thor. We can see Peter Ray Bill. We can see Thunderstrike. And they're all crossed out. So uh, the gist of it is that, uh, you know, I think that, that that gives us the focus that, that, that Don Blake, this version of Don Blake, this insane surgeon uh, with the power of a god, is going on a spree to kill all of the individuals who have ever held the power of Thor and possibly steal their power. Um, and in the foreground, we can see Thor screaming in a poster. Uh, so, yeah. Uh, and that's why Don Blake, I think, has got his hands on the fabled Book of Kings, his blood-soaked hands, uh, because that Book of Kings shows all of the people who have the power of Thor. We see Red Norvell, we see Thunderstrike, uh, and he picks up uh, he picks up Jarnborn, which is the axe that uh, that Thor wielded whenever he couldn't wield Mjolnir previously, and also the axe that uh, Thor chops Thanos' head off and puts through his chest in uh, the Avengers movies. Um, so... Uh, Jesus, Don Blake takes down the uh, the Warriors Three and Peter Ray Bill and the the hosts of Asgard, and it's it's through conversation. Uh, I guess this is the the wonder of Donny Kate's writing. As this is going on, you know, as this battle is going on, where you're trying to go, well, how is this? How is this surgeon? How is this doctor taking apart the 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 hosts of Asgard? And we learn that. Uh, we learn then that uh, that Don Blake carries Thor's memory and also a portion or all of maybe all of Thor's power, uh, and we learn that by proxy that his mission is to, you know, as he as he rips the Odin power from uh, from Beta Ray Bill, uh, which is just a fantastic scene. You know, we just see him tearing the power bodily from from Bill, and and Bill's face changes to to that of his original his original race. You know, and and that, and he's, he's absolutely powerless. Um, throws Volstag through a window, uh, surgically takes apart Sif. But uh, yeah, we learn. Yeah, we learn that 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 as I say, he has the power of Thor and the power of uh, of of the dragon and the, the memories of Thor. You know, so as far as Don Blake is considered, he's fought all of these people many, many times before. He's fought Volstag. He's fought Sif. He's you know he's fought the warriors three, uh, Fandral and and uh, and that, but they've never fought him because you know he has the memories of, of Thor, but they have no memories of him. But it, yeah, I mean at that point he he takes over the Rainbow Bridge, he he uh, he exiles Asgard, the Asgardians to uh, to this realm furthest from the bright center of the universe, and uh, then he has a wee a wee shave and a haircut. Uh, now looking a wee bit more like himself, having shaved and had a haircut, uh, Don Blake uh, takes off, uh, uses the Rainbow Bridge, takes off to New York uh, and goes to visit uh, Thor's former love uh, and a former Thor herself, uh, Jane Foster. You know, that's what makes me think together with the cover and him stealing Peter Ray Bill's power that he's quite keen to, to steal Jane's power as well. What Don doesn't know, of course, is that I don't think that he knows anyway. Is that is that Jane is currently the Valkyrie, uh, and uh, and holder of the the Omni weapon. So looking forward to seeing where that goes. And looking any excuse to see uh, Jane Fast Foster Valkyrie uh, in action is always good for me. So this is this was fantastic. I just I loved it. Uh, Nick Klein's art is beautiful. Um, in fact, that that last that last page, uh, Jane Foster is actually a wee bit reminiscent of. Uh, of Wells Protasio 
in the way that he draws. Um, but yeah, meanwhile, then in, in the suburban in the suburban nightmare that uh, that Thor is trapped in, the world of Ash that was once the kingdom and cage of Doctor Don Blake, uh, Thor has a has a conversation with Jormungand, who's the who's the dragon. Um, you know, we find out that the problem started whenever the Odin force passed to Thor, whenever he became king, and that uh, that's where we find out that that Don has the roaring fire of both god and dragon inside him, the power, the madness. That he will not bend to anyone. He cannot be stopped. Uh, he slit the dragon's throat and tore his hide for armor. Um, so Don Blake is a monster, and uh, nobody knows quite how much danger the world is in just yet. What did you think, guys? Yeah, yeah. As you said at the start, if it hadn't been your pick of the week, it certainly would have been mine. I'm so glad you picked it, though, because I had so many questions about what certain stuff was, and you just answered it all perfectly in recapping it. <laughs> Sorry. Because oh, it was, you know, the book as well, when he was flicking through the book, I found myself going, what, what's it? what is this? Is this, you know, and as you said, Book of the King. Uh, but yeah, just how easy he seemed to take everybody apart was was brilliant you know it's it's it's, again thinking ahead where they're going to go with the story you know it's part two of six yeah yeah well you know i i think i mean i i hope not but uh he's obviously stealing power from the the same way as he stole the power the 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 thor power thor force from from uh beta ray bill i think he intends to do the same and probably worse to jane foster because obviously messing with Jane. Jane has been through a hell of a lot, you know, with uh with her 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 battle against cancer whenever she was Thor herself and uh you know now becoming Valkyrie and, and formerly having been uh you know Thor's beloved to the point that you know Odin wouldn't let them marry. Uh so that's a really good way to hurt Thor. But uh I mean I hope I hope Jane holds on to her Valkyrie par at least. Um but then you know I, I really love to th- see th- see Thunderstrike, uh, you know, and what happens there. Um, you know, uh, Thunderstrike's one of my favourite characters as well, uh, certainly in his in his original format anyway. Um, I think now his Thunderstrike son holds the Thunderstrike power. But uh, but yeah, so I think I think it's nearly like a Highlander thing. You know what I mean? He's uh, he's, he's running around taking everybody's power. Um, so I think that's where it's going to go. Um, I heard someone refer to him as Donald Blake now is Donnie Darko. I think that's uh, that's pretty fitting. <laughs> well, it's interesting. I actually hadn't looked to see that it was a different cover artist. I thought it was just Nick Klein doing it. But it's interesting you say Olivier Coupel because that image to me is very reminiscent of Magic Order. The scalpel actually almost looks like a magic wand as well. Um, so it actually harkens back to that great miniseries he did with Mark Millar. Um, magic order. So now that I look at it, it's just ripped straight from that. You know, sorry, the other point that, that bears mentioning is that uh, whenever Dawn was was released in the Arsguard, the first thing he did was break the cane that allows them to change places. So Thor is trapped where he is. He just doesn't know it yet. Yeah, I mean, it's uh, for me, it was a great issue. It was just an issue of great moments. You know, I, I loved where he... You know, he throws the axe at Lady Sif, for example, and you know, Beta Ray Bill just comes in very heroic and catches it sort of two centimetres from her head, but then he's taken down and destroyed. As you say, Volstagg comes in and saves him before he's killed, but then he's dispatched. 
even just the fact that because Donald Blake was a surgeon, I love that he uses the scalpel so surgically sometimes, just with like yeah. multiple hits and you know things like that. So it's a real, real good amalgamation of both, you know, surgeon and obviously the power of Thor as well. So, but my goodness, does Donny Cates write some dark stuff? Like, yeah, <laughs> this I just it's just brilliant. I think that he's just taken this. You know, he's found a wee thread, you know, he's found a wee thread and the, the dangling thread of of Don Blake and what became of Don Blake. I mean, and he's just, he's pulled on that and gone, okay, I can do a thing with this. Well, he always said writing Thor was his dream. See, but yeah, that was Keith's pick of the week, which was Thor number 10. So yeah, obviously given the sheer volume of stuff we've read, I mean, those are the, all the standouts for us, but you know, we always like to throw a few honorable mentions out there, just a, a few wee lines on each. Again, we like to go through it in uh, order of company, you know, in, in order of what company is the best. So, of course, we start with DC. <laughs> <laughs> you're, you're a funny boy. I'm just making sure you're paying attention, Keith. That's all it is. But, uh, yeah, well, we, we always do start with DC, but that's probably more to do with the fact because my review's first. It's inevitable. We haven't chatted in a while. But, yeah, just a few things that were certainly worth uh, pointing out this week. Uh, Batman continued. So, again, really enjoying Tinian's take on this world. I'm really enjoying further exploration of the character Clown Hunter. You're sort of starting to see Harley Quinn evolve as a character where, you know, she's much more interesting than she's been in a long, long time. I thought this was a solid issue. I thought the art was a bit jarring. You had four different artists working on this. Five if you include the cover, actually, because Jorge Jimenez does cover. Uh, but you had Ram Benjamin, Danny Miki, Bengal and Gia March on this. Now, I'm a big Bengal fan. Bengal did a great series with Rick Remender called Death or Glory, and that suited that book. I'm not sure he's an artist that suits Batman. It looks a little bit basic, sort of next to the likes of Game March and so forth. And it's also a little bit of a showcase for what can happen sometimes when you have multiple artists on a, on a fortnightly book. It, it sort of loses its flow a little bit for me. But story-wise, I thought it was continuing to do some good things. You know, I love the fact that, you know... Ghostmaker is obviously looking at Bruce saying that he's soft now and that he, he can't do what needs to be done. You know, he's letting Clown Hunter run free despite the fact he's a multiple murderer. He's letting Harley run free despite all her past transgressions. But it's obviously to do with the fact that Bruce thinks people can change. So, yeah, solid issue, I thought. I mean, I'm, I'm pretty sure we're all on this, aren't we? Yeah, again, very, very strong. Very strong, strong issue. Tinny and drawn again since, I said it last week, since Joker Ward just seems to get better and better. Uh, a little hint as well, Poison Ivy could be on her way back. I know there was, I can't remember the issue, it said she, Queen Ivy is going to be a storyline. Yeah, I think, uh, yeah, I, think I was in Batman 100, I think. Yeah. The Arkham spelt out in the, the leaves, letting them know where they're being held, Harley and Clown Hunter. Who again is such a strong character, but I can't see where they go with them. You know, I think with Joker not around, is there a need for Clown Hunter? Could he go off and hunt of Joker? Would that be a, a good mini series? Do you think? You know, yeah, I don't know. I don't know what they're what they're 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 doing with him. I think he's he's an he's an interesting enough character, but I don't know if he. You think he's got last ability? Well, the thing is, they have established that there's still factions of sort of Joker supporters running around Gotham. So there's a way you could segue him out, I suppose. But I don't see him becoming a long-term ally to Batman or anything like that. But he's, he's a good character. I, I do like him as a character. But 
I think yeah, longevity might be might be a wee issue there. But yeah, mm. strong stuff on Batman continuing. The uh, the four different artists switching put me off a wee bit. I have to say it's a great story, but those, especially the sort of the, the jarring change between you know page two and page three, kind of really knocked me. Um, you know, and uh, I, I don't know which artist is which. Uh, you know, it doesn't it doesn't mention that, but uh, I did enjoy the wee part with uh, with you know Nightwing and Nightwing's flashback to whenever he was Robin, and the first time he met Orphan or mm. Ghostmaker. Um, I was going to say Orphan Maker there. Don't know where that was coming from. Um, the first time he met Ghostmaker, and then you know the the admission from from Dick that uh, you know that he said uh, you know he's telling the story to Barbara, uh, you know as he's moving as he's, he's uh, on his motorbike towards towards Gotham, you know, and he, he refers to Spiral. He refers to his time as as an agent of Spiral, uh, you know. And we learn a wee bit of a wee bit more about Ghostmaker through that. But then the admission. You know, the vulnerability, I think, at the end there. I had it in my head that he was Bruce's real first partner and I wanted to beat him up, you know, to prove that I was a better crime fighter. <laughs> not insecure at all, like. Yeah, definitely not. But uh yeah, I thought it was a it was it was a great issue. Yeah, good issue. Um I hope that we go back to our regularly scheduled artists next week. I would say so. I would say this is part of like the the break the future state is doing and so forth, you know, it's allowing sort of the mainline artists to get ahead in the work and so forth. So I know Jorge Jimenez is, is sticking through with Batman with uh, Tinian, so I would imagine it's just giving him a little bit of a head start on that. A few other good ones that uh, popped out this week. I thought Strange Adventures was strong again, number seven at this point. So that's the the Tom Keen, Evan Doc Shiner, Mitch Jared's title. This one was a very angry issue. It was lots of sort of frustration on Adam Strange's part, who was being held. Um, lots of anger, but also lots of regret as well, because obviously, again, this is sort of a multiple timeline uh, sort of story we're being told. And yeah, I, I continue to dig Strange Adventures. I do think it is going to read better when it's all together. I think there is a lot going on here, and I do think mm. this will make a better graphic than single, but it's almost worth it just for Evan Duck Shaner's art as well, because I think his art is so beautiful, so golden yeah. age. Yeah. It's it's very very good. Um, I love the I love both artists on it actually. Um, you know, Mitch Gerrards and and Doc Shiner. Uh, uh, this issue was slightly weaker for me. I find the stronger issues are the Mister Terrific issues. Um, but I'm very much enjoying. In fact, I think Tom King writes Mister Terrific fantastically. Uh, so we're back to Adam here, and uh, we're still maintaining that the idea of truth and propaganda and the truth you tell yourself. Uh, you know, and how that varies, how that varies from the actual truth of a matter. You know. Yeah. Um. So yeah, it's good stuff. It's good stuff. We bit, we bit, confusing, but, uh, but yeah, enjoyable. Well, again, another reason that I think that my delivery was so messed up this week is because it was related to the next title, which is Deceased Dead Planet. We already had our issues, of course, with this as we awaited issue three, four, and five coming out. This week, issue six hit, which is the second to last issue. Very uh, John Constantine heavy issue, which is never a bad thing. I think it's a case of you getting your Hellblazer fix, Keith, since the 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 headline title came to an end, unfortunately. Yes, the the sad and unfair demise of Size uh, Barriers, John Constantine Hellblazer. Yeah, this was this was great. We're coming. We're borrowing towards the end. Uh, of this but yeah there's 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 some stuff happening on on three fronts our heroes have potentially found a cure uh the 
more villainous survivors uh, have released a whole bunch of amazo androids to wipe out the dead or sorry the anti-living um which of course is counter to what our heroes are doing because if they can cure them and turn them back then killing them off is is not a bad is not a is not a good option you know yeah. but uh, and then on the third front we have trigon who i guess is the devil uh, arriving on earth and uh, and he's uh, he's also intent on burning everything down and wiping everybody out so that's where john constantine comes in he's made some questionable maneuvers over the last uh, the last few weeks yes. uh, last few issues where he's he's done some stuff to get some some uh, some uh, MacGuffins in order to uh, give him the power to face Trigon. Uh, so again, John Constantine, all about the greater good and uh, screw all the rest of it, uh, which is what he does best. Um, yeah, very very good, great, really enjoying this. Tom Taylor, what else do you have to say? Indeed, indeed. Um, and then we'll just throw in one last title that I think's worth to mention, which is Batman: The Adventures Continue, which of course has been the animated adventures so to speak um expanding that world this uh current run has focused very heavily on introducing jason todd and red hood into this uh into this universe this has been a really strong title this was another one that similar to deceased we waited a long time for an issue of it to come out and then we got sort of three or four issues in the space of two or three weeks and i think that flow really really helped it um you've got two people pulling writing duties on this you've got animated series you know stalwart paul dini but also alan burnett on this as well who also wrote for the the animated series and then ty templeton's art i mean it, it just looks like he was uh he he worked on the animated series the the style mm. is that close very very strong issue again i really really enjoyed this yeah i mean this is the third part of red sun rising so as you say it's this it's introducing jason todd into the into the the mix here um so uh, Robin is Tim currently, isn't that right? Tim yep. Drake. Tim Drake, who um, gets kidnapped at the end of issue six. Yeah, so there's a lot, you know, Jason's dealing with his betrayal at the hands of Bruce. <laughs> I love uh, I love Joker's, uh, <laughs> Joker's uh, partner in crime in this, uh, straight man, <laughs> you know, who's effectively a, <laughs> a Captain America type, um, you know, and Mr. Wing, who is, uh, is the Penguin's uh, right-hand Penguin. Uh, but yeah, this this finishes off this arc. I just I think this has been going from strength to strength uh, with this particular uh, with this particular story. Um, yeah, really enjoying it, and uh, we've got a wee appearance by Deathstroke there at the end, which is which is always always interesting. So yeah, I I, uh, I was on this sort of tepidly at first, mm-hmm. and as it's gone on, I've gone nope. I'm really enjoying this. I'm you know really really enjoying this. So I'm on this for the foreseeable. Yep. As far as I'm aware, there, I think there's only going to be one more issue in its current iteration, but maybe it's a case of similar to a lot of titles taking a break while Future State is is coming out. So, because mm. I believe issue eight coming out, you'll love this, Keith. It's a Christmas holiday special number eight. So, oh, fabulous! I know you'll enjoy that. <laughs> uh, yeah, so that's pretty much DC taken care of. Just a, a few Marvel ones definitely worth talking about. Uh, the first one of which I have to admit would would have been very very high on my list. It was kind of the bane of my existence in the last week, getting it into the store um, due to the wonderful world of comics speculating. But Daredevil 25, uh, Chip Zdarsky, of course, continuing his awesome Daredevil run. Uh, You also have Marco Cicchetto there on uh, cover duties. Uh, But I believe it was a different artist for the main series, which was uh, Marcio Menz. 
I think, was doing art on this along with Chichetto. And mm. what a great issue this was. Um, starting to see a bit more electric coming into uh, Zdarsky's run. You know, you've got this really sort of romantic scene at the start, you know, showing their sort of blossoming love and so forth. And then that instantly gets counterpointed with Electra's sort of her dangerous nature. But we're continuing on the storyline where Matt feels like he has to serve, you know, serve his time, so to speak. You know, obviously he he was convicted of manslaughter. He uh, admitted to it in the last issue and took a plea bargain. So it's a couple of years in prison for him. Obviously accidental while he was slightly out of step as he was, you know, retaking the mantle, so to speak. But this issue essentially boils down to a conversation between Electra and Matt. I particularly enjoy the uh, cowl he has made in prison that is the same colour as his orange jumpsuit, uh, <laughs> obviously to hide his identity. Really, really, Douglas, I thought the relationship between them was really well explored. I thought there was there was cool nods to the history of Electra, certainly with you know the death of Electra and Bullseye and all that kind of good stuff. And just a really, really class issue. And it obviously led to a specific splash page that you know sent speculators and um comic investors wild which i will not fully spoil here but to be honest if you've made it this far without finding it out you have done well but yeah i think this is a really really interesting direction and i kind of wonder if we'll be seeing less and less of matt murdoch for the foreseeable i wonder if this is gonna the same way that earlier in chips run we had less of an emphasis on matt at one point and more of an emphasis on wilson fisk I mm. wonder if we'll get a little bit of that now and we'll start to be following Electra a little bit more as opposed to as opposed to Matt. Yeah, I mean, uh, if he if he ends up serving out his two years in prison, we'll certainly be seeing, seeing a wee bit less of him. Um, I don't know, based but, on the uh, events of Keenan Black, it might be a good time to be locked in a prison. Yeah, it might be, it might be. Um, so, I, I mean, I, I love this. I thought it was I thought it was great. Um, it's hard sometimes to separate your opinion from the, the hype yeah. You know, and, and, and I guess, again, with the whole speculation, which is something we just don't buy into at all. In fact, you were most annoyed that, you know, potentially you wouldn't be able to get your issues at cover price to the people yeah. who, who, who pull, you know, because of the, the speculation and the late arrival. But that first page, um, Marco Cicero is totally um, is totally tributing to, uh, to John Romita Jr. there. Mm-hmm. And, uh, you know, Electra and her big, her big out-of-control hair and... You know that down in the down in the left hand corner there, the the, the face on view of of Matt Murdock, a young Matt Murdock, is absolutely John Romita. You know he's 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 yeah, tributing that's square job. You know, yeah, that's you know because John Romita Jr. was drawing Daredevil at that time. You know during that, that it was Frank Miller at that time I think was yeah right, was, it was Miller and Romita Jr. Yeah yeah so uh, so yeah um, and I love the you know there's a story going on with Stick and with Electra, uh, one bugbear. For me, and it's a continuous bugbear with Electra. The martial arts weapons she uses, her size, are not sharp. They're not sharp weapons. They're blunt weapons. <laughs> so <laughs> she's obviously sharpened them herself. <laughs> but uh, yeah, fighting the hand and learning a wee bit about the fist, who were the the precursors to the chase, who are the enemies of the hand. Um, yeah, the the conversation between Matt and Electra. That you know, as you say, Daredevil's helmet. You know. His mask that he wears in prison, being orange to match his jumpsuit, and also not having horns. You know, uh, I guess in prison, horns and a helmet could potentially be a dangerous weapon. <laughs> I think you're uh, right. Though that said, Daredevil being Daredevil, he is himself a dangerous weapon. 
so yeah, it's very much about Electra trying to embrace, uh, you know, Matt's light, you know, the, the, the light that Matt represents against the darkness that she represents. And, uh, and, yeah, and she has a specific... It was great to see those sort of stories in Hell's Kitchen, you know, that, you know, obviously Electra knows fine rightly who this woman was talking about, you know, the spare any change one. Yeah. And uh, she sort of talks about, like, um, where is it? Accident died a week later. Insurance wouldn't pay. I had a good lawyer. Did the job for free. But even still, and you're just like, you know, fine, Riley, that was Matt Murdock, and he loves taking his sort of bleeding heart cases and all the rest. But yeah, yeah. But even Electra sort of shows some compassion here and, you know, gives up her expensive necklace. I particularly enjoyed her. This necklace is worth 5000 but on the street you may get two. That's a hell of a drop, isn't it? <laughs> yeah, it really is. <laughs> I thought what was interesting is obviously Electra knows who she's talking about. Uh, you know, the lawyer, obviously, Matt was quoting Bible verse at the time and such. Yeah. Uh, you know, when she says, and your lawyer sounds like a fool, I guess in prison earlier, she just told Matt that he's a fool for being in prison, you know, that he could have saved more lives in two years being outside than he could by being in prison, you know, so interesting, we get a wee bit of a wee bit of an insight into how Electra knows who Matt is, because she's, she, she, she forgot that uh, at the time, whenever everyone was, was made forget Matt's identity, yeah. um, you know, but uh, it turns out it's something to do with her her partial resurrection, uh, you know, under stick. So always nice to see stick and stuff as well. Um, yeah, good stuff. And oh. I noticed, yeah, stick now looks very much like the guy who played him in the Daredevil <laughs> uh, TV series. I really like the uh, the Daredevil graffiti as well as Electro walks past, which is, you know, projected onto a building and says, we are all Daredevils, who's so sort of showing that, you know, Hell's Kitchen still sees him very much as, you know, their saviour and one of them and, you know, always trying to do the better thing even though he's now in prison. But yeah, just a really, really strong book. I mean, this is this is a book that, you know, it's it's good that both of you are obviously here for me to chat to about it because Vicky went and got me a copy early. Uh, again, she nipped around the FP and it was just so we could read it. But while we were still waiting on our issues, when both of you guys come in the store, I was like, look, go and sit in the corner, go and read this for 10 minutes. Just don't get it spoiled on you. And you know, because there were eBay listings within a day, second print, first appearance of, blah, blah, blah. So it, it, it it's so important with comics and, and any any medium at all, I suppose, any type of art. It's important, I think, to go in knowing as little as possible. And there's nothing worse than spoilers in this world, and they're getting harder and harder to avoid. So, um, mm. yeah. And, you know, the, the funny thing is they're, they're, they're messing with themselves because this thing will be worth a vast amount of money this week. But next week it won't be, or the week after it won't be. You know that the, the, yeah, it's just it's a it's a it's a tiny little, it's a tiny little short term bubble. You know, um, so if you're a speculator and you've got a hold of this like a dick, uh, and uh, and you're looking to sell it, I would get it sold this week because, you know, next week there'll be, <laughs> you know. Yeah, I think it's it's also the first issue I've ever read in store. And I was so glad I did because I remember speaking to you about the splice page and I went, that will 100% be a second print. Yeah, and I think cover. literally by the time I got home, I got an email and there it was, you know. Yeah. So if Vicky hadn't have been an utter legend and went around the FP and picked that up, it would have been, yeah, there's no way we could have made it. She, it didn't arrive until yeah, today. today. Yeah. Yeah. No, so yeah, appreciate that. No, pleasure. Yes, thank you very much. Absolute pleasure. So that was Daredevil 25. Uh, we've got a, 
A couple more Marvel ones to throw out there. I know one that you very much enjoyed, Keith. Uh, the Union number one. You love you. Uh, use some Union Jack. Well, uh, Patty was on this as well, weren't you, Patty? I was, yeah. It's, it, it's kind of Keith, or sorry, Alan touched on it earlier about tie-ins. You know, kind of introduce you to characters and stories that you've you've never heard of. I've, I, At the minute, I'm on all the King and Black tie-ins, but uh, I may change. Uh, but I absolutely love the Union. It's characters I'd never heard of. Uh, do you know what it reminded me of a bit? The Boys... You know, with Voight, the way they manage the superheroes and the boys. Mm, yeah, yeah. reminded me very much of that. You know, there was the whole, you get to name them and somebody was voting for uh, the play it on. Do you remember Bodie McBoatface? Oh, yes. Yeah, 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 yeah. kind of play on that a bit. But yeah, yeah. I thought it was, uh, there's it there. I see Soupy McSuperhero Club. <laughs> it's still up there. But yeah, I really enjoyed this issue again. It's, it's yeah, I knew nothing about them going in. It'll definitely be something I think I'll keep on even after King and Black has passed. Yeah, I mean, just to, just to clarify, whenever Alan says fan of Union Jack, he means a superhero. <laughs> <laughs> I means, do not yeah. think we needed to specify that on this podcast, <laughs> especially when we take the mick out of spider flag. <laughs> so, yeah, this was an interesting one because obviously this was solicited during Empire as an Empire tie-in originally. Uh, and they have, uh, they have obviously with 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 a lot of the tie-ins for Empire going the way of the Dodo uh, with COVID, uh, this is one that that seemed to be a casualty. But what they've done is they've they've sent it back to the drawing board, probably literally, and repurposed it as a King and Black tie-in, uh, and done a very very good job. So the reason you haven't heard any of these characters before is because most of them are new, Paddy. Uh, you know, Britannia, Snakes, Kilpie, and the Choir. Uh, the idea is that they have assembled a team from the various countries that make up the United Kingdom. This book got a real bad rap in the press, um, you know, because obviously whenever it was first announced in February, uh, you know, the, the the Scottish independent nationalists were up in arms about it, you know, about very bad form whenever whenever countries are talking about uh, going independent after Brexit, that you're, you're put this very bad taste. But in actual fact, they've got it completely wrong because... You know, it's not like they're projecting a superhero team that is uh, together and happy and uh, content. You know what I mean? It's uh, it's very much the opposite, I would think, by the looks of it. So, yeah, just I thought this was great. Uh, Joey Chapman as Union Jack is is brilliant. There's a wee bit of a wee bit of a twist in it, uh, which I was sort of thankful for. Uh, you know, seems to suggest that Union Jack is going to be a very large part of. Uh, of the uh, of the series, however long it may last, uh, is it just six issues or is it? I think it was solicited as five, I think, but I don't know if that's mm. five issues as a tie-in for Keenan Black, and then we'll see what happens, or if that's just a mini series. But it's definitely had a very storied history, as you say. I mean, I get the feeling the first half was the exact same as it would have been with Empire. We were speculating about earlier, Keith, about maybe substitute the uh, the Venom Dragon for a. Like a scroll worship or something. And... Yeah, exactly. It's hard to, or a super scroll or something. I, I, you know, it's. I would be interested to know how much repurposing was done of the latter half of the the latter half of the book in order to to make it a, a king and black book. You know, it would be one, two, about five or six pages. Really, would yeah. need would have needed repurposed there. You know, but uh, yeah, I mean, British superhero comics set in Britain. British superhero teams have an interest in history. You know, because. Obviously, British comics have always steered away from superheroes, mm -hmm. you know, with 2000 AD and all of that. But, 
you know, I think Marvel did it ve- did it best with Captain Britain and MI13. Uh, it was really interesting, you know, but prior to that, the most successful was probably Excalibur, which was linked to X-Men. Um, you know, and there's a few failed attempts, clandestine, and a few other bits and pieces, but uh, yeah. Last week, Alan, maybe it was you, Keith, there's a Northern Irish superhero in this? Yeah, that's Snakes. Snakes is Northern Irish. Ah. The big the big guy who talks in diamond and diamond-shaped speech bubbles that we know nothing about yet. Um, yeah, I was, I was slightly disappointed by that. I was looking for some uh, stereotypical Northern Irish, you know, wind your yep. neck, wind your neck in, or mate, or so a do. Here or, me, yeah, <laughs> something like that. Yeah. But as you say, we don't really have a, a sense of any of these characters really so far. So, uh, but yeah, I enjoyed this as well. I'm somebody who Pat, I'm going to be reading all of the Kane and Black tie-ins. I haven't read Atlantis Attack ship, which I understand you're not massively fond of. But yeah. my title, my copy of it only arrived today with that top-up delivery, you see. So uh, I'll give it a go. But, you know, Keith and I talk about tie-ins all the time. Some of them are essential. Some of them aren't. Just pick creative teams you like or characters. Death Metal have done it very well. I think the tie-ins for Death Metal have been brilliant. Yeah. I mean, you, you're, you've got a split down the middle for these two right here because I love them all. And Keith's like, yeah, we'll see. If, if there's characters he likes, like Speed Metal was very important for Keith to read. Yeah, as a yeah. fan of Joshua Williams' Flash Run. But, you know, like I loved Infinite Arc Stream, which was all Lobo, for example. But I don't know if Lobo's even a character you've you've interested in, Keith. But, uh, not not terribly. Not terribly. I mean, he's fun, you know, with a few times he's, I've, I've seen him, but uh, but not, not one that would be terribly, terribly interested in, you know. I guess for me, Paddy, it's the, it's the difference between telling the story within the main title you know, I think if you're if you're anyway, not not to get in a rant, but if you're if you're you're telling a story, tell it in the main title and have the other titles add value rather than tell your story throughout all those titles. You know what I mean? Uh, I think with a, the King of Black being a kind of a global attack, it makes sense. You know, how else would you fit the Union in if it had been just a, an attack? Yeah, America, yeah. You know, so but, that's uh, kind of what I've, I've agreed. To, I've agreed so far to have. All the tie-ins and all because I know quite a few of them are five and six mini series mm. within the King and Black, so I'll, I'll I'll judge accordingly, but I'll one hundred percent keep the union on. Yeah, definitely good fun, cool. good fun. And then just one last Marvel title you wanted to throw a bit of love out for Keith? Oh, yeah. Hellions, Hellions number seven, first book that I've uh, first X book that I've read post uh, post Ten of Swords. Um, really, really enjoyed it. Hellions is a uh, the problem team of the X Men of the X Men, um, the team that consists of of problem characters or characters that are a wee bit off the wall or characters that are a wee bit too lethal, um, led by uh, led by uh, Mister Sinister. Um, so this is sort of the fallout of what happened uh, during Ten of Swords, and very very enjoyable. Uh, you know, uh, we've got Havoc struggling as to why they've put him in this team. He's like, but. You know why am I why am I there? I mean he is he is struggling. His mind has been manipulated over the years, you know. And uh, you know we're we're seeing the fallout of characters. You know the idea of Ten of Swords is that if characters died in other world, they couldn't be they couldn't be resurrected uh, by the resurrection protocols. They came back lesser. But there's some characters who died uh, in Araco, the, uh, the 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 sister island of Krakoa, which isn't other world. Uh, and they, whenever they're resurrected, seem to come back a little more honed, a little more, more themselves 
so that's kind of interesting with regard to what effect that'll have on on uh, nanny and wild child. Um, so it's it's really good stuff, and, uh, and we see the return of, of Cameron Hodge here. So we're back to uh, we're back to uh, business as usual for the X books. You know, separate from uh, separate from the the massive crossover that the massive and fantastic crossover that was Ten of Swords. Um, I know Tommy's reading it at the minute and uh, is thoroughly enjoying it, and I'd have to agree it was it was very very well put together. A lot of moving parts. Yeah, I'm looking forward to my uh, large omnibus of that once it hits, and uh, I'll certainly read through. Has it been confirmed? Is it X of Swords or Ten of Swords? I think it's Ten of Swords. Uh, I think it's Ten of Swords. Uh, you know, the, the letter X being the numeral, the Roman numeral ten. Um, after all the fun, and, uh, after all the fun we have with House of X and Powers of Ten, uh, and it sort of makes sense because there are there are ten swords on either side of the battle. There are ten wielders of the swords who are X Men. Ten wielders who are you know, from Araco. Um, uh, so yeah, and, and ten tarot cards that that tell of the of the matchups. So yeah, cool. Um, so yeah, that was the Marvel uh, honorable mentions. Just finish off then with the indie stuff. Just a, a quick summation. But uh, one that really stood out for me this week. It was actually an original graphic novel released by Aftershock. Aftershock seemed to be playing around a little bit with the traditional comic format at the moment releasing um, their usual single issues, releasing original graphic novels. There's a 64-page original story coming out soon called Piecemeal as well. But this one was called Kill a Man. This is uh, co-written by Steve Orlando, who did a great job on Martian Manhunter last year, and Philip Kennedy Johnson, who's the writer on Last God. And then the artist on this was Alec Morgan. So really, really great uh, original graphic novel. This was essentially to do with a, uh, a guy called James, who watched his dad die in uh, a UFC ring. All he ever wanted to do was grow up, become a fighter, and go after the man that killed his father, so to speak. But the one who killed his dad was gay. And James himself, he actually grows up as gay as well, but he's afraid to come out because the world of sort of mixed martial arts and UFC is such a closed network. You know, it's supposed to be seen as like a, a man's world, so to speak, and this kind of thing. So he actually gets outed by another fighter just as he's about to have a title shot. And then the, the guys behind the UFC, or in this case, it's called EFC, uh, <laughs> essentially find ways to get him out of the main event. You know, they they look into previous fights. They try to highlight, quote, illegal moves to say he wouldn't be a world champion. But it's all about that. It's all about being like a gay man within this m sort of manly world, if you will. Uh, I was really impressed by it. I thought it was a crack and read set and read it in one, one sitting. It uh, it had overtones of things like Rocky, you know, the underdog story, the fight scenes in it were great. The the artist I'm not overly familiar with, Alec Morgan, uh, worked on titles like Midnighter and Battlestar Galactica, but I thought the art in this was really visceral and fast-paced and quite kinetic. And then it had quite a, a, a good conclusion that you might not see coming. So original graphic novel, really, really dug this, so it did. Um, there's a good Northern Irishism for you there, so it did. <laughs> uh, another title it's I, I know neither of you guys have read that but really really do recommend giving it a uh, giving it a go I'd be more than happy to take a land off it ah, that can be arranged that can be arranged right. uh, so that was that one and then another one I thought that was just really really cool was I've talked before in this podcast many many times and in store about my love for what AWA are doing AWA Studios Oh yes, um, they are specializing in short runs. Uh, so a new one launched called Erratic, which is written by Carrie Andrews, which is interesting because I believe Carrie Andrews is usually more of an artist, isn't he? 
I think he's, nope. I think he's written a few things as well. But yeah, I'm Iron sh- Fist, the, the, the Immortal Weapon, or, or whatever it was called. Um, Maybe it's just I'm thinking of um, variant covers, but he does the cover for this, for example. But I remember him being part of like the, the cover lineup for things like Detective 1027 and you know Batman 100 and stuff like that. But uh, yeah, this was uh, a great first issue. It's all about this 15-year-old kid who has been transplanted from where he was living, moved to a new town. But, and he's suddenly been granted these incredible powers. But the thing is, he can only use them for 10 minutes at a time. So he's trying to fit in at school and he's getting bullied and this and that. There's that desire maybe to use his powers to protect himself. But he may need those powers later on in the day to perform something super heroic or save people. Uh, really, really cool first issue. I, I really enjoyed this. I Again, I can't, I can't talk enough about how much I'm enjoying what AWA are doing. They're branching out the different genres now this is maybe their first attempt at tackling the superhero genre in any way but given that it's a company run by axel alonso who spent years at, at marvel you've got writers working with them like j michael straczynski who of course knows superhero stuff so yeah really really solid first issue and uh i would imagine this will be one you'll wait for 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 trade patty given your burgeoning awa <laughs> collection I'm going to make an exception in this case because I remember, and this proves I do actually listen to the podcast. I think Vicky had this as a pick mm-hmm. on a preview issue, a pre one of the preview podcasts. And I just remember hearing that about he has 10 minutes of bars and that's all he has for the day. And it stuck with me. So I'm going to break my AWA rule of waiting for trade paperbacks. <laughs> so if you could both a copy. Do you have any left in store? Yeah, I'll get you sorted. There's no no worries there, man. Um, so yeah, so that's uh, Erratic number one. I believe the next one up is something you enjoyed, Paddy, uh, uh, an Aftershock title again. Yeah, there was a lot of love last week for Aftershock, and the cover just jumped out at me. It was Knock 'Em Dead by Elliot Rall and art by Matteo Monaco. I uh, had no idea what it was about. Saw the cover, thought it looked fascinating, so I picked it up, and it just tells the story of a someone that wants to be a stand-up comic, Prior Bryce. Uh, some of the artwork in this is absolutely fantastic. It shows you him going to kind of starting trying to do, you know, open open make nights. Uh, and he, he's getting absolutely nowhere. But some of the imagery they use to show him bombing on stage is absolutely brilliant. There's one in particular, I think he's like, is it six nights in a row where he just bombs night after night after night? Uh, very, you know, very good story. And then all of a sudden he meets this, someone I assume is a, an agent and, you know, sells him the, the pipe dream and then completely out of the blue slams his car into a wall. Uh, the agent dies, but Bryce lives. Uh, well, I say lives, he doesn't have a heartbeat and he wakes up. Uh, but kind of, it sets the tone in for issue two, which says Bryce, Prior Bryce died, but not only but only for a couple of seconds. The thing is, he didn't come back alone. Trapped inside Prior's body, a ghost offers Prior a supernatural deal. He'll write Prior's materials so they can still be successful, even after death. Their bargain comes with supernatural strings attached, and soon Prior will discover the comedy is no laughing matter. Uh, so very strong first issue. You know, again, picked it up, no nothing, thought the cover looked good. Kind of, I've decided I'm going to give more number ones a go, try and expand, you know, my reading material. And yeah, I was really, really pleased to pick this up. 
Yeah, I picked it up. It's um, again, it's I'm similar to you, Patty, or or what you're you know planning to do. But I'll always pick up a number one. Uh, it, it obviously it's a benefit of having a store, but you know I'll always get <laughs> I'll I'll always have first refusal on number ones. But yeah, I'll always pick up a number one and give it a go because it might be the next saga. It might be the next who knows it might be and i don't mean that from an investment point of view i just mean that from a, a really great story and yeah i enjoyed this I, I thought the art was the real standout for it uh i particularly enjoyed the scene it was like two pages into it where he's sitting on a train writing material and he just cracks himself up with his material and everybody in the train's looking at him like he's a nutcase he's like sorry because he's just laughing away to himself but but yeah, as you say, some of the imagery was great. You know, the first night that he bombs, there's actually imagery of this countdown clock that says you suck and it just like explodes in the middle of the venue and stuff. But yeah, it, it definitely took a weird turn in the last couple of pages and and has set up a, a very different direction, I think, to what we were expecting. There's even some decent uh, interviews at the back of it with four or five upcoming um, stand-up comedians as well, talking about like nights they bombed and stuff like that, so... Yeah, good good first issue. I, I dug that as well. Um and Elliot Rahel, that's um something else I'm reading that he's writing. Oh yeah, it's uh, The Vein, which is uh sort of a vampire prohibition title by Oni Press. Um here comes our obligatory love for a certain Mr. Kirkman and a certain uh, martial arts based title. Uh yeah. Uh Firepower number six. I think you're on this as well, Patty, aren't you? Uh, another brilliant issue yeah and uh, I mean so uh, Robert Kirkman Chris Samney Matt Wilson and Colors and uh, so we're we're, we're 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 getting deep into the story now you know through through teamwork and fireballs Owen uh, and his wife Kelly uh, were able to ward off two dragon claws assassins uh, only to rush to their kids defense back home at the hands of two others uh, Owen is pushed to his limits but his family escaped safely to to the house of Kelly's police partner, Reggie, where Waylon uh, finally makes his his presence known. Uh, so Waylon being uh, being Owen Sensei from the uh, from the Temple of the Flaming Fists. So, and we find out that he's also uh, that Reggie is also a, a student secretly has been been watching things. Um, some great fight sequences between Owen and uh, and Waylon, uh, you know, and uh, <laughs> just in the, in the standard. Uh, Kirkman Samney way it's just going so well and just a little more of the story is is, is opened up as we learn why why Wei Lun uh, left the Temple of the Flaming Fist why he now has a Scorched Earth Clan tattoo on his arm uh, and exactly what's going on so we've got a so just like just like Invincible we have a wee bit of a Kirkman twist in issue 6 uh, and we learn a little more of the, the story and uh, yeah I just I just love this book I love this book Fairly big twist, I'd say. You know, it, it kind of changes direction. Yeah, and, uh, I love that. La- them last two panels as well. You know, the I don't want to give it away without spoiling too much. You yeah, know, the, the look up as if to say, not quite. Well, yeah, and I think that's you know, Kirkman has has certainly has he tweeted about that or talked about it that he doesn't want to lead his his readers into thinking he's to just it's a it's a bit of a Bit of a cheap joke, bit of a cheap, uh, a cheap, be a cheap cliffhanger, and he's not willing to do that. You know what I mean? He, uh, he's willing, he's willing to work harder for his cliffhangers, uh, which is nice. So, yeah, great book, love it, love it. Yeah, and then we also had uh, the conclusion to the first arc of that Texas Blood, which was pretty <sighs> spectacular issue as well. 
Sorry, just to just to backtrack, Alan. This is issue six of Firepower, so this will be the end of the first arc of that as well. Yes, indeed. Uh, sorry, you were saying that takes us blood. No, you're grand. Yeah, so that was a dark issue. <laughs> well, yeah, we talk about Donny Cates being dark. This is probably the darkest book on the shelves. Well, certainly the darkest book that I'm reading. So this is, it is the end of, I guess, the first arc, but it's the end of the second story uh, called uh, A Brother's, Brother's Conscience, Conscience, which which was due to be the actual story. Isn't that the case? Yep. Um, so yeah, this finishes off the story of uh, of Randy Terrell. Um, and it's just gone from bad to worse. Uh, you know, Randy's from from Texas and has returned to Texas and has found that uh, the life that he built for himself elsewhere was just a veneer that he he was always the person he was whenever he was uh, where he was from and it's yeah dark dark stuff you know as uh, as Joe Bob would say well well <laughs> yeah such such a book. good good book great book for anyone who's a fan of noir who's a fan of sort of small town mentalities who's it's just a really really well told story i mean the trade of it's due out in january and it's going to comprise the first six issues but even little details you know the guys who who wrote and created wrote drew and created this you know they provide playlists on spotify for you know to set the tone for while you're reading and so forth just there's a lot to this book and i, I think it deserves as big an audience as possible it you know, it, it does sell well in the store already, but I definitely think there's going to be some trade readers pick this up. Uh, just Yeah, I'm planning on, on getting it in trade. I, issue one and issue two, I believe I got, but I just know it's a story I would enjoy more due to the slow pace if I had six or seven issues to read at once. Yeah, so, you're probably right. You're probably yeah, right. Picking it up in trade. Um, so they're taking a wee break, I think, after this issue and, uh, and our next arc. Apparently, we're traveling back. According to the letters page here, or the the page at the back, we're traveling back to 1981, where Joe Bob, then a deputy, must team up with. Well, where's the fun and spoiling it? <laughs> Plus, any excuse to throw that word in again? Yeah, absolutely. So so good. I mean i I read this I read this this afternoon, uh, and it was on my pull list. And uh, you know, I'd read it this afternoon, and. Yeah, it's it's dark even reading it in the light of day. <laughs> you know what I mean? It's uh, it's you just the I've said it before. The atmosphere absolutely drips off this, drips off it. Sense uh, of dread as well. Yeah, and 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 just the impending, not not doom in the not doom in the world ending sense, but doom in the personal sense. You know, uh, it's it's again, it's it's a small story with big consequences to the people in the story, mm-hmm. you know? Um, yeah, just, just loved it. Loved it. Yeah. Thoroughly brilliant book all around and definitely creators to keep an eye on for what, whatever they do next as well. So yeah, that was that Texas blood number six. And then just one last one. I know you want to throw out a bit of love for it, Keith. You were chatting to me about this in the store today. Yeah, sure. So, I mean, uh, Stranger Things and Dungeons and Dragons issue one from IDW, Jody Hauser, Jim Zob, uh, Diego Galindo uh, was was my pick of the week a few weeks back. It was in our, our big uh, Uber uh, recording there uh, last week. And I voiced the fact that I was really interested in where it was going to go. Obviously, it's pulling together the properties of Stranger Things and Dungeons and Dragons, uh, the latter being one of my favorite things. Um, so, 
the, the first issue took place before the first episode of Stranger Things. It was a prequel about how the kids, you know, how uh, Mike and Lucas and Will and Dustin got into Dungeons and Dragons and met through it and became friends through it and and dealt with the troubles of, of their, their burgeoning teenage, their burgeoning school lives uh, through it. This issue jumps in time to the end after the end of the first season of Stranger Things where Bill, where Will is back. He's still in hospital after his experience. They've They've defeated the the, the, the Demogorgon and uh, and all of that. And this story is beautiful because it's about, you know, how they want to get, you know, Mike wants to get back to the game. But how do you get back to the game whenever you've just experienced all this, whenever you've just defeated and defeated real monsters and, and whenever Will has gone through what he's gone through and and all of that. So it's just set, it's set beautifully. And it's about how they use Dungeons and Dragons for their own therapy to deal with what they've been through and to, to normalize, to, to, to get back to normal life. Uh, you know, and I just, I just think it's fantastic. I've long been a, been a proponent of the idea of, of Dungeons and Dragons as a, as a kind of near therapy that, that can make people more, the people who gravitate towards role-playing games are kind of like how I was whenever I was a kid, you know, no confidence, you know, despite the fact I was creative, not really socially, you know, really, really shy, you know, and uh, that's not who I am now. And part of that is because of Dungeons and Dragons, you know what I mean? So it's, it's, I'm a real big proponent of the power of it to make people more confident. And, and it's just, although it's considered a nerdy thing, a closeted thing, it's, it's a social thing. It's about people sitting around in a comfortable to use the word safe space with their friends and, 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 and socially interacting, you know? So, and there actually, there's a, an advertisement for a, I don't know if it's a service or a charity called game to grow about doing that, using gaming for therapeutic, for therapeutic social groups. So, uh, so yeah, it's just, it's a, I'm really, really chuffed with, with what they did with it. Um, you know, and, and how they, you know, Mike as a dungeon master was trying to go, I have to get them back into the game, but, then he realized that it's a game they, they construct together, you know, and, and he was so keen not to make Will. He was in this problem with the story where there was only a sword, there was only one sword that could kill the, the, the Hydra and, and Lucas's character had it, but he needed, he needed Will's character to have it because he needed to empower Will. He needed Will to not be the victim, to be the hero. Uh, you know what I mean? So he, he talks to Nancy about that and in the end it, it works itself out fantastically. Uh, you know, so again, at the end of this issue, I'm going, where are they going next? What's happening next? You know what I mean? I'm really, really excited about this series now. It's four issues and I'm I'm in now. I'm in. So, yeah. Cool. So, Stranger Things, Dungeons and Dragons, number two is Keith's last honorable mention. I see in our notes here someone wants to try and, you know, cheat the formats. You know, who... <laughs> <laughs> who, who, who could that possibly be would that be the new guy because it's not me this time it makes a change of not being you you know this is the thing you know we we time stamp all or sorry we we name check all of our uh recommendations and who's going to chat about things but i noticed this one didn't have a name attributed to it is that is that yeah yourself? yeah i just want to give a, a i've been reading chew the the original chew to c-h-e-w chew mm-hmm. uh absolutely loving it what a story what characters what art it's just it's just absolutely fantastic. I think I'm th- halfway through it now. I've been been reading it on the on the tablet and just absolutely brilliant. I know the yeah, just wanted to, to give it a shout out and 
Did I hear you're reading the Keith? Did you? Yeah, well deserved. Well deserved shout out. It's a book that uh, I was aware of, but Alan really uh, introduced me to you in and that you know as lockdown started, I borrowed some stuff off him. We 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 very much were like, okay, I'll read your favorite stuff if you read my favorite stuff, and maybe we'll do some book clubs, you know. So. I borrowed Why the Last Man, which Alan has an omnibus editions, and uh, and Chew, which I read the first smorgasbord edition. So I'm looking forward uh, to the second. I absolutely agree with you, Patty. Why why was I not on this the first time around? Uh, you know, it's it's absolutely fantastic uh, stuff. Um, John Lehman and Rob Guillory. Have you read Farmhand, Patty? No. Nope. Oh, get the trade of Farmhand. Uh, Rob Guillory, who is the artist on uh, on Chew, is the is the writer and artist on uh, a writer writer and artist isn't he writer and artist writer, writer and artist, artist creator on on, yeah. on farmhand so i would highly recommend that very much cut from a similar cloth to chew and one thing i will say too about if you are reading through chew is take your time with every page because the amount of background gags the rob you know what I, know, I, know, I noticed last night and i think i'm on issue called it must be on about issue 30 there was a saying somewhere and it was just something so childish and immature and I just thought to myself, have I missed 30 issues worth of these background notes? <laughs> it's worth going back, believe me, believe me. And uh, and I think I can I think I can safely say if you're a if you're a chief fan we'll have we'll have some uh, a nice prezi for you in future. <laughs> Watch this space. Watch this space. Uh, so yeah, so that'll do it for honourable mentions then for this podcast. I will now pass you over to Roddy with his latest dander with the dead. Go on, you boy. All right. So welcome to episode issue three. Who knows of dandering with the dead with myself, Roddy. Hope everyone's okay out there. Um, so yeah, let's dive straight into issue three. This one really bigged up the mellow. Like some people, I think to some people, melodrama is a negative word. But for me, this book in issue three kind of announced what it really wanted to do, and I think it announced that it is a post-apocalyptic world and a post-apocalyptic future. But this is really a book about you know human drama and human sacrifice and what what we do for each other um really really cool story and um, we start off with you know rick searching for his wife laurie and his son carl after waking up from a coma and in this issue straight away he was reunited reunited with laurie and his son carl in this one and it just it just jumps straight into it it's like it's it's a really strange feeling for me because i feel sometimes comics kind of they hold loads of stuff back you know to like to give you at the end like you know if it's a six issue miniseries it feels like they got sometimes it pads it out a wee bit and this just gives you everything straight away and it's like i think it's absolutely incredible so we're introduced to this sort of compound where everyone's been hiding um Glenn takes Rick at the end of last issue here to escape Atlanta where a lot of people are hiding out um, this is kind of there hasn't been many zombies about here and there's a deal usually I think it's deal in the camper van keeps a, keeps a watch and it's pretty simple for him it doesn't seem like the 
the massive amount of zombies like Atlanta it seems to just be one or two but we're introduced to a whole host of characters um, Amy and Andrea the sisters and then yeah obviously the main one Shane really cool the story goes on and there's just this weird uneasy feeling throughout this issue um, to me like Laurie seems very happy to see him but this it feels like there's something wrong and this is there's some really nice moments in the book without any dialogue as well I loved I really love to see that um, there is a nice scene in the tent where you know I think it's like Rick, Laurie and Carl all sleeping together it was really really nice human moment um, but also there's a lot of uneasy tension and of course I think it's Deal that uh, kind of tells Rick that uh, you know Shane kind of has the eyes for Laurie and something might be going on so that kind of sets up the drama and then we've got got some nice work with Carl and another girl in the camp and um, just like there's a really sweet couple of moments between them and it just it brings it all home that what these characters are going through um, what I did, what I really liked is Shane and Rick kind of talking about the old times and they're going through it, going through their history a little bit and kind of, you know, ramping up that tension that way. One of my favorite parts of the book is where they try and go, Shane and Rick try and go hunting and it's almost, it's talked about later in the book that the characters kind of just jump straight into these societal norms, like the women are like, cleaning and then the men just go out hunting um, and it's touched upon later which is really kind of interesting to me um, but yeah one of my favorite scenes was um, <laughs> they go out hunting and the, there's a zombie basically chomping on a deer uh, chomping and slurping and going um, it's very it's very weird to see like a zombie sort of you know with speech bubbles like popping out of his head it's yeah, really interesting stuff here. Um, and it's starting to characterize the zombies of this world where they're kind of idiots, you know? This is, you know, you're not, this is sort of your Romero level zombies. We're not quite 28 Days Later or, you know, the uh, like Resident Evil ones. They're the, they're the basic Resident Evil kind of zombies at the moment. They're not like the hunters or anything or you know, nemesis at the moment. So yeah, um, this issue is really stunning and sort of setting up, it's kind of ramping up the dynamic and the tension between all these survivors and if they can really live together. And uh, the last page is pretty masterful um, because we've got three panels and it's Rick and Laurie and he's just like, everything's okay now, hon. And lo and behold just just behind him just behind the two sisters there's Shane and it just jumps in on him and then the second panel gets closer and closer in on his face and he's, he's not got the best look so you can tell something is happening here and it's just incredible um, and I love that um, the two of them as well they're, they both have their police uniforms on so I think that's really interesting to note that they're still there's still men of honor in this world that's gone to shit basically so really digging it um i know we're three issues in 
and it's where there was a gap, the more than one month gap between issue one and two. That was the like Alan was saying to get a lot of people on issue one, and now we're we're into the thick of it. Every two weeks, this thing is coming out, and yeah, it's cracking stuff. Incredible, really love it. There was um, some really interesting <laughs> letter hacks in this one. Um, really fun stuff. I love reading the the cutting room floor. Still remains like the absolute best best stuff just for like little um little nuggets of information from robert kirkman and then you've got like some really cool variant covers at the end which neil adams and rob guillory too so and chris samney of course so yeah these these are really just they're just kicking ass these couple of books you know so can't wait for issue four and i will hopefully speak to you then so yeah take it easy and yeah of course keep on winging it and, you know, get out for a dander in this lockdown. So, thanks to Roddy for his latest episode of Dandering with the Dead. Uh, I think we're all enjoying Walking Dead again. More than happy to give it another read-through. Uh, more than happy to read it in colour. More than happy to read mm-hmm. it in black and white. Just great, great storytelling. So, we thank Roddy for throwing that in uh, every week. So we always finish off with what we're looking forward to most with this week's pulls. So these are going to be the releases that are coming out on the 9th of December. Here's hoping there are no shenanigans with my delivery this week and they actually come out on the 9th of uh, December. But yeah, we always pick three titles each, so uh, certainly I'll throw mine out there. First of all, really looking forward to the relaunch of a classic Batman imprint called Batman Black and White. So this is a brand new number one this week. Uh, we have Mountainhead number five. This is a series written by John Lees, who was the writer of one of my favorite titles, Sync. And this has been very much a victim of the pandemic in terms of release scheduling. I think the first issue came out more than a year ago. Uh, it's an IDW series, really great horror title. This is actually the finale, so very much looking forward to that. And then another one just to throw out, and I'm sure Paddy will be looking forward to this as well. This is Scarentood number two as well, which will continue on that awesome Nick Roche uh, story there. How about yourself, Paddy? What are your three titles this week? Yeah, I was just having a look at the, the amount of releases, and if Diamond mess up the delivery this week, I will personally ring them on your behalf. I'm more than, <laughs> I'm more than happy for someone else to do it. <laughs> yes, Garantude would have been up there, definitely 100%. Also, Donny Cates is dropping Crossover 2. Again, f- amazing first episode. Really looking forward to see where he-, he takes the story. He did his normal hyping self and sent out a tweet saying that issue 3 and issue 6 will be absolutely huge and to make sure you buy hundreds of copies because... It's going to be massive. And he tweeted, I don't know if you've seen it, a picture of issue two about the missing uh, comic book writers. Yeah, Chip Zdarsky and Scott Snyder. Yeah. <laughs> Who was it? Brian K. Vaughan found dead or something like that. <laughs> yeah. Wow. And then Chip responded to it by going, do you think Scott and I ran off together? <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I've also went for Donny Cates again with Spider-Man 31. I assume it's going to pick up right where King and Black left off with Eddie falling fastly from a roof. I, and then. I presume you mean Venom 31. What did I say? Spider Man 31. Ah, I got confused with my next one. <laughs> uh, Venom 31. And then 
The long overdue Spider-Man 5 from J.J. Abrams and Son. I think the Son has a lot more to do with this, with this than J.J. maybe does. I think they've used his name to get on board, but I know this has been a long, drawn-out series. So I'm looking forward to the conclusion. Um, I think at this stage I'm getting it just so it finishes. <laughs> yeah, this is a this is a five issue mini series that has been slow so slow coming out. It makes Doomsday Clock look good, and believe me, that is saying something. Uh, <laughs> but I'm looking forward to seeing how it finishes as, as well. Yeah, as yeah. as bad as the release scheduling for it's been, it's actually been a pretty cool story. Interest uh, issue one. Issue one, I think, was back in July of 2019. A long time mm-hmm, ago. Mm-hmm. And what about yourself, Keith? What are your three? I'm looking forward to uh, Origins number two, uh, getting a little deeper into that sort of uh, futuristic post apocalyptic uh, mystery. Uh, who is David and what the hell is going on? Uh, so the first issue of that was great. I'm looking forward to issue one of Al Ewing's Sword uh, following, uh, following Empire. Uh, Al Ewing and, and uh, managing the uh, the deep space arm of uh, of Shield, uh, and uh, he's, he's assembled a, a really nice team in order to do that. And then Amazing Spider-Man number uh, number fifty four, which is uh, part of Last Remains, that's really ramping up. Um, is uh, is twelve to Maggie this week? Do you think it's not on the invoice? <laughs> You're breaking my heart. Sorry to keep. Well, at least you've still a couple of volumes of uh, the Goon, or sorry, not the Goon, uh, Hillbilly to read to catch uh, up to you. No, I'm I'm three of those. Oh well, at least you've got <laughs> you've got a lovely big Nightwing omnibus just waiting for I you. I do, I do. Yeah. <laughs> cool. That's gonna do it for us this week, then, guys. So uh, that was all of our picks going through from the second uh, of December releases. So uh, yeah, as ever, any new releases coming out or any of those titles appeal to you, certainly get in touch with the store through all the usual channels, your usual Facebook, Instagram, or Twitter, or just give us a call. You can find the number on the uh, the Facebook page there or on the website as well. So a massive thank you as always to the two gentlemen with me. So thank you, Keith. No problem at all. That was a pleasure. Thank you, Paddy. Yeah, my pleasure. Always happy to be invited on. Nice to have you back, Paddy. Nice to have you back indeed, sir. And uh, a massive thanks as well to Roddy for continuing his dandering with the dead. So that'll do it from us, guys. Take it easy out there and keep on winging it.